Hey everyone, it's Adam here in the editing suite. Before we get started here, I just wanted to say that this episode had a whole lot of corrupted audio. I did my best to recover as much as I could because I thought that the content is very solid in it. Um, and the ideas presented are good and, you know, Terry and Megan are, are fantastic. So I didn't want to lose the whole episode, but unfortunately the audio quality is a little shitty. So uh, sorry in advance for it. Uh, I hope you do enjoy the rest of the episode. In real life, think about yourselves. We're going to think internally for a hot second. I only ever think about myself. I know. Okay. <laughs> it's very you. Um, oh, we got we to gotta hear it. Oh, what okay. skill in 5th edition are you proficient in? And what skill would you like to be proficient in? Oh, I don't know. What am I proficient in? Deception. I would say, yeah, I would say that's very accurate yeah. for you. <laughs> Clearly deception. I've DM'd for too long to not be. I would like to be, I don't know, what's the thing that I'm not good at? And I'm not saying like, I'm great at everything. Like, <laughs> no, no. I get, yeah, I'm not an intimidating person. I'm like, what's the thing that I suck the most at? Like, yeah, I'm not very intimidating. I think you're quite intimidating. Really? Yeah, you're really? very, you're very, uh, <laughs> wow. you're very, now I am. <laughs> like you're serious faced. You're quite headstrong. You're like, you have like a booming voice, you know? When you try. Like, yeah, like I feel like if you're serious about something, people will not fuck you around. They'll listen. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess that's fair. Survival, that's the thing. Yeah. 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 I, like, I'm great out in the woods and stuff. I just feel like if not for antibiotics, I'd have been dead 10,000 <laughs> Oh, yeah, me too. Right? Fair like, enough. Medicine is the thing I'm not good I've got a little infection from a, getting pricked by a cactus on the end of my thumb right now. That would be, <laughs> I would be dead. Does, yeah. Do you in, yeah. <laughs> that's that's fucking my cactus. small prick. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. Fuck you. <laughs> what am I proficient in? I would like to say athletics, but to be honest, I'm not even that good at athletics. I feel like in the comparison to the people in the room right now, athletics is where I'm you're very at. Good at <laughs> I'm very good at simple things. Run quickly in a straight line. <laughs> Pick heavy thing up. Put it back down. Do not try and do things like I can't run. Look behind me, zigzag and catch it. Can't ball, do things in tandem. Time. Yeah. No. No. Okay. Simple athletic things. Okay, maybe, but even that's well. Then that's athletics thing. versus like acrobatics because it's not like you're gonna go and do tumbling flips around here. Hundred percent, definitely not. What would I like to be better in? Honestly, perception. I am so bad at understanding how I am being perceived by the rest of the world. And like to be okay, just like this the other day. I was in Sabon and uh, my girlfriend said to me, I had like, I had a sore bump from being at the gym. So, and it was like right at the top of my hamstring. So I was like, just stood looking at the salad and I was like, I just got to massage this hamstring. Got to get it figured out. And she comes around the corner like, what the, why are you picking your ass in the middle of fucking Sabon foods right now? And I was like, I'm not, I'm massaging my muscle. So it's just stuff like that. I feel like that's an insight issue more than perception. Yeah. Maybe, I just mean how I'm being perceived. Also, but my own perception, I will not find the thing anywhere in the fridge. I'm that guy. I won't see it. I don't know where it is. <laughs> yeah. No, that's natural for, for you folks. <laughs> <laughs> for men in general. For yes. men in general. <laughs> um, I feel like I am a naturally good at intimidation. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, Megan. Sorry, yeah. Megan. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what I wish I was better at is sleight of hand. I have. I am not an image of grace in any way, shape, or form. I wish that I was better at being like I don't know, graceful or sly. One of the best artists I know, and I'm not even bullshitting you. When I see yeah. your art, it's like because sometimes you see people's art and you're like, yeah, it's great, but you're like, it doesn't fucking look like a thing. But yours, like the proportions, it's amazing. Oh. So that's but that's sleight of hand. Is it sleight of hand? Well, that's what and I would do for sleight of hand. hand. I yeah. thought it would be deception. <laughs> Fake <laughs> it till you make it, my guy. Forgery. 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 Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough.
Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on Dungeon Master Tips in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. i got to do the low voice now. You do, yeah. yeah. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Terry, and this episode is called Exploration, Skilling in the Name. Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no Rage Against the Machine reference. Oh. That's my favorite one, just for that, I think. There you go. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to be looking into some more of the variant rules. This time it's all about the exploration pillar. I don't, exploration pillar? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> it's come up before. <laughs> right. So the topics are going to range from encumbrance to falling to what to do with the players want what to do when the players want to tie a knot with their precious rope. I guess everybody has a rope, right? I've never known anybody to not not have a rope. With a rope. Yeah. <laughs> The D&D group I'm playing with this time is the most unprepared D&D group ever where they literally didn't have anything at all. No they ropes. Went, they went shopping like, Nobody. a backpack. I'm going to put flowers and food in it. Yeah. In I want a basket. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll also be covering when should weight matter when your gear matters or how to make skill checks and tools and how to make tools. Oh, this is really stupid. <laughs> we'll also be covering when should weight of your gear matter and how you can make skill checks and tools more engaging and what happens when you fall on someone else. How often do you run into falling damage in your campaigns? Do you have any memorable examples of a character enemy or enemy falling? Yeah, let's roll on this one. Let's roll it. Okay. We got a 15. Seven. One. Well, at least you're not talking to yourself, Terry, right? Mm. Like, okay. Mm. What, uh, fall damage in my campaign? Well, yeah. Well, every, every session. All the time. Yeah, I'm consistently got cliffs or up on top of buildings or if there's been a parapet somewhere nearby, I am not DMing. That is, that is the general rule. Because I need to throw, as Megan knows, players off of things regularly. Mm. I was going to say the most times in a campaign that I've fallen and gotten damage from it has been in an Adam campaign. Oh, it's good, though. Yeah. It's satisfying. I also like dropping people on other people as well so that we will squish NPCs to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a Loxodon in our current campaign, and we lost a Hobgoblin that way. Rolling down the hill backwards? Yeah. yeah that was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Landed on a Hobgoblin NPC. Just a giant. <laughs> Just made paste. Just an oh, elephant yeah. bowl. Bowling yeah. ball going down a hill. <laughs> Amazing. Love I love it. Well, I guess, I guess, Megan, your answer is generally the same? Yes, absolutely. I think, yeah. I think the most memorable one, and I've talked about it before, is being picked up and dropped into on top of the building on fire. Yes, that one was good. Actually, that happened to both of you. Yes. In the same session. I, I did that to Megan. You went up to save her. Uh-huh. And then yeah. you ended up dropping because you were on fire, too. And we almost died. Man, I've repressed that memory. I don't remember. <laughs> well, here you go. Here's Did your we trauma. we almost died? Megan? We okay. almost died. No, we, we lived. Yeah, there was a, nearly a TPK. Yeah. Uh, one of my more memorable experiences ha- actually happened recently for the campaign I'm currently DMing. Uh, Adam, you'll be pleased to hear that I grappled somebody in the previous turn yes. as a dragon. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Blew him all the way up. And then dropped him all the way down, giving him all that fall damage, but it's a free action to drop something. So I then flew back down, grappled him with my action, and then buried him deep under the earth. So he fell, took the damage, and then I re-grabbed him and buried him deep into the earth. Came back out and said, fuck it, see you later. You know, you're stuck down there. That's what you get for being level two, bitches. Yeah. (laughs) And fighting a dragon. I love it. That's what you get. Oh, man. Well, okay, before we get any deeper into skills and falling and, and picking up and, and putting down, I guess, um, Mad Beats? Is that what? No, okay. Before we move any, any deeper it. into this, <laughs> we're going to cut to an ad break. 
We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on Dungeon Master Tips in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Before we jump into what's available on Patreon this week, I just want to thank Andre from Iceland for supporting us on Patreon, as well as joining our Discord server immediately and jumping right in to uh, mix it up with the hosts and, and myself and some of the other patrons. So thanks again, Andre. We look forward to talking to you more. This week on the It's a Mimic Patreon, we continue our conversation with the Campaign Builder, where now we've talked about what it means to be a dungeon master when the players have taken enemies hostage. What are the challenges and what are the opportunities? You can check out this episode as well as the draft beta episode that Dan and I recorded back in 2020. So there's kind of a double whammy right now on the Patreon. So if you haven't subscribed already, you can head down into the show notes below and get the link to our Patreon, uh, or you can find the information on our website. Anyway, let's get back to the show. Um, so we're talking about skills. Um, skills are one of those things that we've mentioned in, I guess, almost like every episode. If, if it not, comes up, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, we've never really focused much on it since, I think, episode 7, when we talked about the exploration pillar. Um, or that was like episode 5, like way, way, way back in the day. Um, and so, you know, it's about time to circle back, especially because there are some variant rules about it. But there's a lot more going on with skills than I think the average person realizes. They see the list that's on the character sheet, they think that's the be-all and end-all. And unless you're dealing with new players who don't understand it you have to look it up to explain it to them it's not really fresh in your mind most of the time so let's go through what each one of the skills i mean we're not going to itemize all every single one of them but let's talk about what's out there um what should be a part of the skill list and uh and kind of what some of the variant rules are so the best way to do this is to look at it by the ability checks and of course every skill is tied to an ability score um so we're going to start with strength strength of course is just I mean, it says in the player's handbook, it's about your bodily power, your athletic training, and your raw physical force. This isn't about your physical training, like um, like tumbling and um, or your martial skills, martial or like your yeah. yeah. Um, but when I'm lower than you, right now. <laughs> um, intimidation. <laughs> so they they have wrapped all of the. Um, Previous editions, strength-based skills into one. It's just called athletics. It used to be jump, climb, and swim. Yeah. And that's it. In previous editions, jump had a whole bunch of special funky rules. And now we do have special rules about how, when jump just automatically succeeds um, in 5th edition. Because there are some jumping rules based on what just what your strength is. Tells you how far you can jump. Hmm. However, if you need to go beyond that, you can roll an athletics check. And that's it. There's not a whole lot going on for strength. Which is odd because I, I always wanted there to be more like maneuvers and stuff that right. you can do. But it's Agreed. it's just athletics versus athletics or acrobatics over and over and over again. Instead of you being able to be proficient in shoving someone instead of tripping them. Or swimming instead of climbing. Or just because you're good at one doesn't necessarily mean that you are good at another one. I think about people that are rock climbing. I couldn't do that, but I used to be able to swim. 
swim when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, now I just kind of sink to the bottom and blow bubbles till the bubbles stop. But okay. I can't swim very fast. No. What about if you did it in a straight line? Oh, like a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> like a torpedo. Um, for dexterity, it's going to focus on your agility, reflexes, and balance. Um, this, of course, are, they give us only three in 5th edition, acrobatics, sleight of hand, and stealth. I do like that stealth is dexterity-based, but it's weird that it has to be. I can think of a lot of ways to be stealthy. It isn't just creeping along, a like, tiptoeing down a hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, I do miss from previous editions when they also gave us Escape Artist. That's an interesting one. That one was from 3.5, and I, I, I miss that one. So every time that you're handcuffed or you're bound or you're in a cage or whatnot, just being able to, like, wriggle your way th- your way free. Yeah. And that was something that a lot of people could do. Rogues were, like, notorious for that. There's no point in tying their hands up. They were just, they're going to break free. It's fine. Yeah. Um, for intelligence, there was, it's a focus on uh, mental acuity, accuracy of recall, and ability to reason. Unfortunately, the skills don't necessarily cover those altogether. They have arcana, history, nature, and religion, which used to be just called knowledge, and these were all subsections of a knowledge check in previous editions. Um, and they also have now lumped in investigation. And investigation is the one that often gets mixed up with perception. Perception is your ability to see the thing. Investigation is your ability to then understand the thing. How does this all fit together? For example, um, perception will let you find the book on the shelf. Investigation will let you find the information in the book. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, perception lets you see the painting. Investigation lets you see the details of the painting. So in previous editions, intelligence used to be way more useful. And it feels like the nerf stat for a lot of people these days. Because when do you use arcana, history, nature, religion? Occasionally when you're looking for, for a plot point. You're right. But in the past, there was a lot more that you could do with it. You were able to appraise things. There was an, like, that was a, one of the skills, appraise. So you'd be able to pick up that piece of art or that clay pot or even just like that that magic item take a look at it and figure out how much is this going to be worth is this a masterwork piece how how um, intricate has it been made is this complicated even looking at uh, complex machinery and whatnot you go into a gnome's uh, workshop be able to pick it up and be like oh shit there's a lot going on to this thing mm-hmm. can't believe you're telling me that was a skill from previous editions because uh, that's going to come up for me as a suggestion for a skill later <laughs> oh, on oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> fuck um, shit <laughs> It was also uh, used for decipher script, which was really useful because there used to be a lot more emphasis put on what languages that you may or may not know and whether or not, like, just because you can speak it doesn't mean you can write it. Now, everybody just knows pretty much everything and then everyone speaks draconic and elvish don't think about it yeah right like that's every player so yeah so we'd also get things like streetwise which is just your intelligence being out in the world if, if you were walking down a back alley and there were three guys you know at the end of the alley you would use an intelligence check to figure out is this a bad idea should i turn around was that in a previous edition yeah because i was like yeah because i feel like i remember that one that's fourth edition i have met so many like academically smart people in my life that just have no idea that they're about to get mugged or something yeah yeah. Like just yeah, and then they had more knowledges too. So there was dungeoneering, which was understanding how dungeons work. When you are underground, you you have a general idea of what direction you're headed, as well as um, it's getting 
colder, we must be going deeper. Or um, normally roots don't grow that way from the ceiling, so we must be close to the surface. Like, just kind of shit like that. Well, like, when you get so far underground, you don't know if you're upside down or anymore or not. Yeah. yeah. And, and Dungeoneering would let you have kind of a navigation as well as an understanding of uh, whether or not, like, that's a false door, or there's probably going to be a pit trap here. Who puts a rug in a dungeon? Yeah. Right? Like, that kind of shit. <laughs> Love that. You just li- listed, like, five things that I would just never figure out myself. <laughs> Perception. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, then there was also engineering, which was one of the unsung heroes. Um, dwarves tend to get this one a lot. It's when you walk into it, so like an underground, a mad, uh, man-made place. So like an underground dungeon or a tower or old ruins and you'd be able to sit there and be like, I kind of know when this was created as well as what culture created it as well as what you know, like which one of these is a load-bearing beam because a lot of the times in previous editions, knock the pillar out was the only way to kill the monster because the roof collapses. You're never going to kill it yourself. Yeah. So, like, there was a lot of understanding your environment a lot more and not having these two skills uh, in intelligence really hurts the exploration pillar. Um, there's also geography. So being able to understand which way the uh, river flows yeah. is going to tell you how close to, um, like, uh, the coastline that you might be. Understanding as well things like um, when you have passed from one terrain type to another now you're in a different kingdom because you read a map before like there was a lot of shit uh, geography was often tied into like um, cartography and shit as well yeah mm-hmm. um, there was history which is um, exactly what it sounds like now history kind of is an all-encompassing political as well as historical as well as like as long as it's not magic or religion if you need to know what history is the check yeah that's right right mm-hmm. um, there used to be one called local which was how well do you know local information like I know that the history of Vancouver super well. If I go to Edmonton, I like I don't instinctively know which way to go, where, where to head to go to like their their night district, right? Or um, where are the strip malls? Or just like being able to. No, not, not the strip clubs. Uh, yeah. Good Jesus, taste, though. Good, good response. Good response. I thought we were going back to Crystal and Topaz again. <laughs> we know they miss you. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> um, so it was, but it was not just that. But um, like, who are the local celebrities? Do you guys remember um, the guy that would play spoons downtown? He would sit in the corner, yeah. And, uh, no, yeah. Standing in line have, at the clubs all the yeah, time. Yeah, a couple yeah. of people have talked about this person. Yeah, yeah. but I don't know. Yep, yeah, there was also a guy. Um, his name was Jerry. He used to be at the uh, the corner of Cassiar and uh, Hastings, mm-hmm. and he was there every single day for years begging for money. He had cancer, and he died about four years ago, and he had a huge spread in the local paper. Yeah. But he was just, a, like, I don't know if he was homeless, but he was definitely below the poverty line. And all he did was smile away. He was the friendliest guy in the world. He would sit in the median and get change from people that were, like, waiting to turn left. Yeah. Wow. That's local knowledge that you would be able to get, like, who do I have to talk to to do this? Yeah. Where's the local thieves guild? Where's the local watering hole? Where's the local anything? That used to be a skill. Now it's just history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nature's always been around. There used to be nobility. I mean, you play L5R, right? Yeah. Legend of Five Rings, where nobility is a thing. It is. That there's like clout and status that you have to worry about. There used to be roles for that in D anD. d Yeah, there's not anymore. You just I, a performance check. Is that is that what that is now? What is like? Is it? 
like determining is, someone's like stature. Yeah, is it persuasion to to show somebody how how snazzy you are? Just a straight charisma check? Or I'm like trying. I think it would be charisma if you were trying to display the fact that you are of a certain stature. But then I also feel like I don't know what the role would be if you were trying to figure out someone was of a certain like, stature. I think it depends whether or not you're faking it or whether that is naturally who you are. I mean, yeah. if you take like if you take like an upper class or just use like a royal for example, they don't have to put on a show. They're just gonna be like that yeah you know? i actually know what all the spoons and forks do like that's a thing that i know like just the etiquette of setting yeah. a table and shit and yeah which ones to use for which course I, I don't know why i know that but i know that that would be a nobility check like an intelligence check to be able to know that shit because the average person just does it because we I, I never set 16 fucking utensils out for dinner you don't right? so no oh, okay well, well i mean <laughs> except the chopsticks but does that count no okay. you need 16 chopsticks for one meal yeah well i I mean, sometimes when I order sushi, they think that I need 16 chopsticks. So, you know, <laughs> oh, that's they, right. the they, they bring me a fork and I get offended. Everybody, <laughs> no, everybody's had it where you order food, but they they uh, they presume from the amount of food that there must be four people eating. So they give me four chopsticks. Yeah, you're yeah. like, this is just for me. Yeah, just, just for me. I'm just depressed. Just um, having a bad day. God. They also have always had the skill, uh, the knowledge religion in previous editions, but they also had the planes. So this is what you would roll to know information about things like beholders or um, or mind flayers or shit like that. If it's from the far realms or you need to know something about um, the elemental plane of water. If you are a specific kind of ranger, you would know shit about the planes. And this would be far more important in like a spell jammer campaign or a planescape campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't necessarily get that anymore then there's not a whole lot of plane hopping written into the core material like the published shit they give you by the way you're in barovia yeah yeah hey guess what you're in the feywild right and that's just, and you're not supposed to know it's supposed to be weird mm-hmm. it used to be you hopping from plane to plane and being kind of a master of this and learning shit as you go. We just don't have that anymore. Yeah. Um, for wisdom, that is your attunement to the world around you, your perceptiveness, and your intuition. So this is where you get your animal handling, insight, medicine, perception, and survival. There used to also be um, one called profession. So if you had a job where you make money during downtime, it's not just crafting. It, it would be like, you know, your bard wants to go juggle outside they would put um ranks or points skill points essentially into profession how good they are at their job and it was wisdom based and that would determine how much money they could make in their downtime great i love that we pretty much got rid of the importance of making money so i feel like that's why they stripped that right out <laughs> oh yeah like the economy in fifth edition is just I non-existent mean, yeah, who can I, hate? Yeah. I blend the bag of holding and the fact that encumbrance doesn't seem to count for gold yeah. you carry ten thousand gold pieces and you're fine money's worthless now light as a feather yeah. <laughs> um, they also used to have a dungeoneering skill in here in fourth, ed- I want to say fourth edition. They swapped the uh, knowledge skill over to wisdom. Um, so there's also charisma, which is the interactions with others, your own confidence and eloquence, and also your strength of personality. This used to also cover the idea of willpower, but that's not a thing anymore because every player sitting across the table from me has too much fucking willpower as it is, and they wield it at every fucking opportunity. Players, man, I'm just. I feel like willpower should be like something they should bring back. It used to be the will save. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would really like to be like the force of will, but that's what you're that's why it's a spellcasting ability as well for bars and stuff. Yeah. But I understand it takes away like someone's want to how to act with their character and it's hard to determine via a role what a good or bad reaction to something is gonna be, especially that's the whole point of a role playing game, right? Yeah. So I understand why they got rid of it, but I feel like it's something that is funny every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have the will a power not to kick that person in the face right now? Mm-hmm. Roll no. for it. No. I, I, I don't. <laughs> Um, the DC increases on that one every day. Every day. (laughs) Um, So the skills that they give us are deception, intimidation, performance, and persuasion. They also used to have gather information, which was you going out into the world and learning shit just by talking to people. Yeah. I'm going to go get information about the prince. We have a meeting with the prince tomorrow at dawn. What do we know about him? Nothing. Go out to the marketplace and learn some shit. Let me go to a library and let me figure that out for you. Well, no, that would be like... That would be nobility checks or history checks. Fair, fair, yeah. But going to find out what everybody at the pub thinks. It's like, so that prince, huh? And everybody just starts breaking shit and fuck the prince. Like, that's gather information. Like, right? well, there we go. Yeah. So <laughs> um, now they just kind of leave that up to role playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Constitution is the redheaded stepchild of the fucking skills. It used to be, I mean, it's about health, stamina, and vitality. That's what the, the ability check is for. Yeah. Also, concentration. It's the thing we don't talk about. Is it a save? Is it a skill? I, I'm pretty sure it's an ability check, but it's not a save. Does anybody know? Off the top of their head, it's a concentration check, not a yeah. concentration save. Like if you get attacked when you're concentrating on a spell, yeah, it's a check. Yeah, you used to be able to be like proficient in it. Now that's not a thing, and it only really seems to apply to spellcasters instead of the uh, I don't know the ranger on the ship that's trying to hold all of the the netting on at the same time, and then he gets like buffered around by a large wave. Is he able to concentrate on on the thing? The bard in a battle of of wits yeah. with somebody else, not necessarily casting spells, might need to concentrate, right? And that's not a thing that we can just choose to be proficient in anyway. Yeah, I feel like there's been some instances in my life where, like, I've had, like, a barbarian hanging from a rock or the edge of a cliff and using a strength check to make sure he's still there, but then gets attacked. And it's yeah. like, how are you still able to maintain concentration on holding onto the side of a cliff after you've been stabbed? It's fair. This would also lead us to the idea of endurance, which was one of the skills from fourth edition as well yeah and i miss that that should really be a fucking thing hmm. um, i run into that a lot especially when people go into really really hot places like you're going into the the bed of the volcano right being able to endure that heat or being able to endure the ice wind dales you know frigid coldness yeah or being able to just like sprint for 15 miles right i, th- I keep thinking about aragorn legolas and gimli just running for days Jesus, no, thank you. I like effortless. No, absolutely effortless. Uh, anyway, um, Pathfinder actually had a couple of uh, of skills as well that were that the first edition anyway took from three point five. It was disabled device, which was disarming traps. Yeah, fly, which was how dexterous you were able to be when you were flying, either um, like of your own volition. This is not riding a dragon. This is when you cast fly, or if you have wings, how well can you fly when you get hit by things you have to dodge and duck things there was a lot more three-dimensional thinking in previous editions and in pathfinder as well fifth ed is pretty two-dimensional plane um the spellcraft which is helpful for your um counter spell spellcraft was you being able to identify what spells were being cast 
Mm-hmm. So you see a wizard, an enemy wizard, waving his hands in a certain way and starts to chant in dwarves. You're like, oh, fuck, it's a fireball. Everybody get down. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, or being able to identify what level the spell is to counterspell appropriate. Hmm. They also had to use magic device, which meant that you had to make a roll and anybody could do it. This is a charisma check um, to be able to use things like wands and scrolls and any sort of magic um, item that an artificer could put together as well. This used to be a skill. Now you're just rolling Arcana checks. Yeah. Um, Pathfinder 2 busted it all down into four categories, all of their skills. Um, and I find this is really useful to think about. We're going to talk about variants and stuff in a minute here. That's why I'm talking about all these other options. Um, it is important to think about the fact that the skills are meant to be an, a facsimile of what you can do in real life based on these six very simple fucking ability checks. And that's it. Here's the score. And they have to represent literally everything a human being can do. Mm-hmm. Or an elf. Or an Aarakocra. Or like whatever, right? So, But they don't do a good job with just a very limited skill list. And there's a big argument right now with 1D&D coming. Do we get more skills or fewer? Do we make it easier? Or should we get more granular? So the answer is you can always actually do whatever the fuck you want with skills. The character sheet is a guideline. That's kind of the way that they lay it out for players um, to have a direction to, to think about. But for DMs, you should be thinking about other things as well, like all of the different acrobatics ideas in Pathfinder 2nd um, Edition. You have balance and tumble through. Tumble through is when you have to pass through an area that is considered, you know, difficult terrain. There's another person in the way, or it's a tight squeeze, or or not, not a tight squeeze, sorry, it's a different one. But um, the idea that you've got to, like, get underneath a door that's, like, slowly closing and shit like that, that's a skill. And anyone can do that untrained. Or you can actually put some, their version of proficiency, you get training in it. To either do a uh, maneuver in flight um, or to squeeze it as well. Like you just, you guys ever see those really uncomfortable like spelunking videos of the people that were like like squeezing? I've gone, the, I've the gone spelunking before. I and I it. As well. it's, yeah. it's a hard fucking no. I don't me. like no, it. I don't need to be surrounded by a planet. No, I, I I watched the descent and I was thoroughly uncomfortable for the first half an hour. What a great movie though. And then bored for the rest of it. Yeah, I, I gotta yeah. try it again. I loved it. I was so scared of the earth like and not the monsters. Oh, see, I, loved, I just loved all of it. I was about I, it. I don't like being on the ground. That doesn't work for me. Maybe maybe I should give it a second shot. Give it another go. All right. Okay. Um, and then they have everything under the idea of arcana, which is you can uh, recall knowledge, which untrained, or you can borrow an uncane spell. Somebody else casts a spell. You can do it, too. You've seen it recently. You can you can mimic it. Um, you can <laughs> Fake de- it till you make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can decipher writing. You can identify magic, or you can learn a spell. These are all things you can get trained in doing as a spellcaster. Yeah. Then athletics covers almost all of this is untrained. Just anybody can do this. Climb, force open, which I guess is chests as well as doors. Yeah. Um, grapple, Megan's favorite. Love it. Um, high jump and long jump are two separate things in Pathfinder. Of course. Right. Um, shove, swim, and trip. There is one that you have to be trained at doing, and that's disarming people. But that's a skill that you can get to just be good at, and you make a roll to disarm someone. And then, the last one is crafting. Whether or not you can recall knowledge, you can repair things, those are both untrained. So you can just repair shit. What do you do to repair a wagon wheel now that breaks on your... On the wagon in the middle of nowhere. Mending. Mending. If you don't have mending, <laughs> what do you do? You'd sit there and listen to Dan talk about the seven different tool proficiencies he has. Yes. And say, fine, it takes you, you roll a D10, that many minutes. Jesus, moving on. Right? But there's no hard and fast rule for that anymore. Yeah. Unless you're, 
I think there might be some artificer shit mm-hmm. that points in that direction. Um, craft, earn income, and identify alchemy were all skills that you can learn in, in It just sounds edition. so specific, you know? Yeah. It reminds me of Call of Cthulhu where you have a list of like 30 different skills and you can do all of them, but you just really suck at some of them. Yeah. Well, Call of Cthulhu, you suck at most of them. Pretty much everything. Well, because they're humans, so yes, you absolutely suck yeah, at everything. That's yeah. Call yeah. of Cthulhu is like, what are you least shit at? <laughs> what are you the least shitty at? Um, do you guys think that there are enough skills? Would you want to see more or less? I really sorry, Megan. You took your inhale before me. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think that when you get too granular, it, it's too hard to follow. And then I don't, I don't find it enjoyable in any way, shape or form. I like being able to have the freedom as a DM to say, use this skill. This is kind of like the area that it fits into and then go from there. There are a couple that I wish would reprise in some way, shape or form, but like not to the detail that is, that has been previous editions. So you and Dan are both going to say some way, shape or form now. I always oh, say that. Okay. My issue right now is always saying, you? no, my issue right now is always saying X, Y, Z. I learned I yeah. say that so you many do. fucking times. You do. You yeah, do. sorry. Sorry, people. <laughs> I was told off the other day for always staying a hot minute. For a I, hot minute. It's, I didn't even realize that I did it. But there you go. They told me at work today that I say fuck around under my breath too much when I'm pissed. You do say fuck. That is such a Canadian thing. Fuck around and find out. Like, that's one of my favorite phrases. I love that. And step up then. It's one of the yeah. Okay. Anyways, I phrases. Think, I think... Yeah. <laughs> I think 5th edition is, for the most part, so well balanced, and particularly with the skills, I, I really enjoy it. And and to Megan's point here, and Dan said it previously as well. XYZ, yeah. XYZ, <laughs> some way, shape, or form. Fuck around and find out. <laughs> <laughs> Better pack a lunch. <laughs> Um, that when you're too specific in something, then it causes ambiguity in other areas. And I think so too. I, I would agree with it. Uh, so I, I think right now we have the perfect amount of balance. And, and I think the, the fact that in the, in the future editions with 1D and D, the whole point is to, the whole point is to, is to bring more people to this game. I think if you make it more complicated again, you're going to, uh, you're going to make that harder. You're going to make people not want to play it anymore. Like the only reason why I got so far into D and D at this point is that when 5th edition came out, it was so easy to pick up. But it's yeah. still a lot to pick up for the yeah. first time. When I, I put a, a group together a couple of months ago, and it was mostly new people, and I had to give people the player's handbook, and they were like, it's 290-something pages. And I was like, you don't need to know it all, but probably a 100 of those pages you probably should know. Yeah. When Miek and I started dating way back when, she'd never heard of the D&D before, and she said she was never going to play it, and then about three years ago, I got her to try it. We play one-on-one, especially through like Zoom and whatnot. got to do it once. That's yeah. it. Um, however, she is still learning shit all the time. She was here this summer and joined, sat in on a couple of D&D um, sessions with us. And Dave looked over at her character sheet and saw that she had written down under her items, hemp and rope, instead of hemp and rope. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. And he has not let her forget that at all. Like, about every week or so, he sends a message about hemp. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he is not letting it go. But, like, that's just the thing. If you're not... That is one of those things that you can play for three years and still not fucking know. 100%. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love it. One of the reasons that I like to look at what previous editions has offered is not because I want to add these things into the game, but so that I can put it on the inside of my DM screen and say, okay, when my player is trying to do this really fucking weird thing and it doesn't fit one of the skills, does it fit one of these alternative skills that I see in another game? Yeah. Uh, 
Can I can I figure out what spell it was that he was casting? Oh shit! Which modifier do I use for that to let him do that? Yeah. So being able to have that cheat sheet is is really useful. So um, I'm gonna post this and uh, um, put the link up in the Reddit so that people can download kind of my list of alternative shit that I've compiled from other editions as well. Yeah. Um, now there's some variant rules, and one of them, the first one, is in the DMG, and it's uh, automatic successes. This is on page 239, um, and it. It says essentially that if your barbarian should win the arm wrestling contest with the wizard, but the wizard just rolls better, it doesn't feel good for the barbarian. Sometimes you should just let the barbarian win as an automatic success. You don't need a skill check for it. However, having a proficiency with a skill or tool can also grant automatic success. If a character's proficiency bonus applies to his uh, his or her ability check, the character automatically succeeds if the DC is 10 or less. If your DC is 10 or less in the first place, why I, I don't even bother. Maybe an 8. 8 or less, I don't bother rolling. Yeah, true. Right? I mean, outside of tier 1. Tier 1, I'll make you roll, but... Yeah. Um, if the character is 11th level or higher, the check automatically succeeds if the DC is 15 or less. Now, I mean, I, Charlie already has a plus 13. 13, yeah. Yeah, into his initiative. Yep. And a plus 17 into stealth, I think. Yeah. And we're level 4. Like, he, he min-maxed the shit out of it. I don't know how that math breaks down. I probably have to look a little closer, but... Now that you say that out loud, we're like, hmm. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but I've never even heard of this. As the monk, I don't even have that high of an initiative. <laughs> but I do know that Dan was rocking rolls of like 30 plus yeah when he was in tier four it's not it's not necessarily impossible to to think that maybe yeah that we can just hand wave this shit and move forward yeah but again only with the proficiency in it like i'm not gonna let the wizard do it mm-hmm. on a stealth check of, of dc 14 yeah wizard roll road yardy did it that feels good the problem with that and it says that right in the dungeon master's guide is smart players and experienced players will then just start to tailor their game to only using those roles that they're already fucking good at so they know they don't have to roll because their skills are already higher than than 15 or 10 or whatever right so yeah so how do you guys feel about that who's going first me on this one yeah let's roll we can roll as is tradition six uh i got an eight 13 one I was going to re-roll it because I felt like it didn't count. It just kind of toppled. But I'll take the 13. Um, what do I feel about automatic successes? Well, I'll put it this way, okay? Michael Jordan missed more than 9,000 shots in his career. Should Michael Jordan have to roll to get a ball through a hoop? I mean, yeah. That's that's literally what athletics is, but right? For, but but for he's him, proficient. It should be, by, by this kind of logic, he would be at the point where you consider it to be an auto-success. But he had missed 9,000 times in his career. So because... Because there is a chance that you can still fail, I think you should roll it. If it's, you know, 10 or under, if you're like tier 3 and above, okay, fine, fuck that. But anything 15 or over, or, you know... Yeah, 15, I would say. I think you should definitely still be rolling. Even if the wizard is arm wrestling the barbarian, I think you should still roll. Because maybe the barbarian is not smart enough to realize that arm wrestling is actually better when you pull with your bicep more than you try and push with your palm. And the wizard might figure that out. I learned something today. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Terry, what Simple else things. is better to pull versus push? Simple thing. What else is better to pull than push? Uh... Depends on your kink. <laughs> <laughs> we don't kink shame here, right? Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, honestly, <laughs> honestly, when it comes to automatic successes, I look at it this way. Um, you can have a maximum of a plus five modifier into any one of the skills, plus your proficiency can be plus six at high level, which means that you can 
Roll a one and get a minimum of twelve. Why are you rolling? If it's if it's DC ten. Yeah. Fair point. But I think that by the time that we get to that that point, the the DM should kind of have an idea in his head about you know what what's happening as far as each player's uh, like proficiencies. What are they naturally good at? Um, what they have tools to do, and then whether or not it's even worth bothering to do it. Like even at high level, I was just saying, hey, you guys are stealthy. You move forward. Paladin and wizard roll stealth. Yeah. Right. For your bullshit armor. Yeah. Roll it. <laughs> what yeah. I meant to add that I'm going to add before we move on is if you're not going to do an auto success, I think if somebody is highly proficient in something, you could do a reduced amount of failure. So, for example, if, if a rogue does fail to pick the lock, he's not necessarily going to fuck that lock up and damage it. But if somebody else was to fail that and they have no proficiency in that, then they would maybe damage it or fuck it up more. So I, I'm more in the favor of a reduced amount of failure. Yeah. What do you think, Megan? Um, I think as I think with most things, it's situational. It's one of those, like, if you're a higher level and, like, there's been so many times, even though we're lower level, where Charlie will look at you like, why am I rolling for stealth right now? Like, already, we get those looks at the table of, like, Mm -hmm. why am I bothering to roll? Yeah. And I like Terry's idea of the fact that it does add a little bit of, it does add a little bit of suspense to it of how shitty you will fail. Like, if the barbarian fails the arm wrestle with the wizard, does his arm break? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that kind of stuff could be tied into it. So I do agree that rolling is necessary, but I think that you can tailor it with these kinds of variant rules. But I wouldn't play a game where it was an automatic success like guaranteed. I wouldn't say at the beginning of my game be like we're playing with auto success. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. It would just be something that I would have in my back pocket for those situations I want to move through quickly. Mm-hmm. And maybe you wouldn't even mention that there's something that you might roll. You just kind of do it as part of the Yeah, you just say it's a natural thing. You just say, yeah, you're absolutely naturally stealthy if you're going in on your own and the paladin's not following you. Absolutely, you can sneak through. Yeah. Like, you know. One of the interesting things that I used to do is add a level of in-game humiliation to it. Yeah. Um, I did this to Dan all the fucking time because he was a min-maxing rogue. So if he was supposed to be stealthy and he was the least stealthy person there in tier 3, everybody else was rolled really high and he rolled a one still came in at a 16 but came in lowest then everyone else gets an opportunity to mock him and even the narration of like everybody else tiptoes forward dan your character trips on his own coattails and flops down silently on his belly and hopes that nobody else can see mm-hmm. right so that's like it was deliberate yeah like he still he still passes it's not necessarily a, a failure because i mean he can't fail but you've done fucked up right and so everybody else gets the opportunity to laugh at him in that moment now you have to have the right table for that with the right players some players can get real butthurt when that shit happens yeah if everyone around the table starts laughing at you if you built your ranger to to train an animal the animal bites your hand and everybody laughs at you then what the fuck have you been doing for the last eight fucking sessions of why the goddamn am i even fucking here and like i have watched people rage out like that yeah Yeah, but then if you do that you forfeit your right to laugh at anybody else yeah i mean that's fair um there's another variant rule that i quite like called uh more difficult identification did you know that you can identify uh, any magic item with a short rest you don't need to be proficient with it with any sort of like identifying spell or anything else you need to be a caster though to do that nope you can just hold it and quote unquote attune to it without attuning. Like the idea is the same thing. You're holding it in your hand during a short rest. You do nothing else, and you will just know everything about it by the end of the short rest. No, I don't like that. Yep, I hate it. What we you guys both look confused because I don't fucking play that way. No, but I've never even heard of it. I don't like it. My DM has never offered me the opportunity. Yeah, to yeah. Do this. I, I spit it out. <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> um, 
It does say um, that if you prefer magic items to have a greater mystique, consider removing the ability to identify the properties of a magic item during a short rest and require the identify spell, experimentation, or both to reveal what a magic item does. Uh, do you know what? I've never thought about using experimentation or offering that as an option to the players. Well, we don't kink shame here, so like you you experiment how you need to, right? Just, In your just own offer time. that you can trigger it if you want. <laughs> you can hold that wand as long as you'd like, but if you're going to experiment, and it might go off in your hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? N- nothing. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> we don't do that anymore on this show, Megan. That's <laughs> not where that sentence was going. <laughs> so, that's the name of my sex. <laughs> Let's not do that on this show anymore, Megan. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> With my name in there specifically. <laughs> um. We, I talked a lot about skills with a lot of different options and whatnot. Is there a specific skill that you guys think it's overlooked? Performance. In, in the performance? Performance is not used enough. It's very specific to... I don't think so. I think... I, no, but I mean, I've, in games that I've played in, it's been played very specific to certain things. It's I don't think... Again, I agree. I don't think it's utilized nearly enough. I think um, I think you can use it at times. Like, people will often lean into deception. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're doing anything that could be considered a performance, if you're impersonating somebody else, I think... I think that should be performance, not deception. See, and I have done that in the past, especially when you're like trying to walk through the crowd without being noticed. That's performance, not deception. Yeah. yeah. Right. I am. <laughs> I used to work. I used to do what Dan does now, which is air balancing. Right. So the idea is you walk in in a busy vest with the clipboard in one hand and a ladder on the in the other, and you can just walk into anywhere and no one will bother you. No one will ask questions. That is so fucking true. It's good and heist so, knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like that's a that's like a meme now that oh as long as you're carrying a ladder you can get in anywhere. Like people have gotten into movie theaters and watched movie for free because it went in with a ladder. I absolutely believe it. Yeah, but like you just have to look official enough, and I feel like that's. That's performance. That's not deception. Yeah. My uh, sister, she worked for a company. A company she used to work for, she was like, did like ethical hacking. You know, they'd hire her to like steal credit card information and stuff. And they'd be like, how did you do it? But another part of what that company did was physical entry. They'd be like, the CEO would be like, our server room is on this floor right here. If you can get to it and take a picture of it, then I know we have a problem. And she said, once you get beyond the front gate, if you can get in anywhere, if you can just get into the building, people will have assumed that you've already been checked because it's not their job. Yeah, mm-hmm. just little things like that. If you if somebody does ask you for their ID, tell them where it is, and then ask them to go and get it for you, and then they'll be like, "No, they walk." Like it's just little things like that. To your point, yeah. yeah. I play a lot of Hitman. I know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Never played it. Is it good? It's great. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. I'm you're so intimidating. All of the I play a, I play a lot of Hitman, but then you just sit there in your fucking evil <laughs> yeah, thrown chair. Yeah, it's very difficult for like, to continue yeah. the conversation <laughs> because I don't. That's it. Like, how do I follow up with that? I play a lot of Hitman. Me- it's great. Megan doesn't make commentary. She decrees. Yeah. And, that's what it, and then stares. I make demands and I do decrees. And then stares as though whatever, like, your answer back better be correct. So you go, okay. That's how deceivingly good at intimidation. <laughs> Is it good? Yes, it's great. Okay. Um, I think a skill that gets overlooked way too much is survival. Yeah. There needs to be more survival checks to know what... I, I love weather in games. I think weather is so much fun, and I usually ramp it up in Tier 2. I don't focus too much in Tier 1 because everybody's squishy. Yeah. But, like, whether or not you get a long rest it depends on how windy or rainy or dark 
like and 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 cold and there are some times where you just cannot get a rest in or exhaustion becomes find shelter becomes the name of the game and no your tent doesn't cut it right um and uh writing this in had him right now because i forgot about <laughs> you continue uh, as i write this in um survival should be not only surviving when the weather hits but knowing that it's coming being able to see the signs of it seeing the the flock of birds in the distance perception sees it survival knows oh a predator is over there or a large animal just moved through where they were nesting or we're being followed or right, we're, exactly yeah. right and so survival should be used so much more for exploration especially in overworld travel yeah that's the one that i really want to rely on you could say nature and i would lump a geography knowledge and shit into nature but the way that you interact with the natural world should be used way more Especially if you're going to play, like, Tomb of Annihilation, where you're doing that hex crawl through jungles for 75% of the of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Or um, uh, Baldur's Gate, the descent into um, Avernus, where you are, like, traversing a hellscape for large swaths of that game. Storm King's Thunder is a lot of overland travel as well. And, yeah. And, like, extreme condition overland travel. We just don't see enough of that. Survival needs to be used way more. Um, and le- then you're rewarding your player that chose to be a ranger for some stupid reason. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Here's this boon. Uh, no, I think, um, I was going to say that wrong is nature and medicine, I feel, aren't necessarily utilized as either, in my opinion, the right way or enough. Like, medicine is only ever used when someone has run out of their spell slots. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody knows how to use healer's kits, and that's a big factor. And, like, yeah, to your point, you're absolutely right. Right now, we're in a campaign with a cleric and a bard, and the bard has cure wounds. Why would we ever? Yeah. Right? In the previous campaign, we had a paladin. Who consistently healed herself and no one else. 100%. Yeah. Um, Use your medicine checks, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) I did that as a cleric as well. Yeah. Um, And that's actually the complaint that I heard from the cleric last night when we went for coffee. She was sitting there going, I feel like all I do is heal and run to catch up with the rest of the party. Yeah. It takes me two rounds to get to them, and then by then they're face down in the mud, and I've got to heal them. And I'm like, that is accurate. Yes, that is what a cleric does in tier one. Yeah. I made my cleric fly and fuck everybody, so... Literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I made my paladin just not give a shit. (laughs) But to be fair, she did rescue people when it was required, but she let people make their own fucking mistakes. (laughs) I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Still too soon. Too soon. Um, is there one skill that you would like to add to 5th edition? Now's the time. Now's the time. Appraisal! I think appraise is such a good skill. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I would like to see more of. It's a big one in Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, and it was really useful in previous editions as well, especially in high magic item campaigns. We are not supposed to have a whole shit ton of magic items in 5th edition. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why I think they left it out. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the fact that you can sit down for an hour with whatever it is and go, oh, 25,000 years ago, this god made it like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, hate that but, rule. Don't yeah. like it. No. Nope. Never using it. Um, one skill that I would like to add is uh, there's, uh, cooking. Cute. I w- And I think that... I, I don't know if it's actually cooking necessarily like yes meal prep and it should be able to help you uh like you get one free hit dice or something to like i feel like this is a, a feat and one of them is called chefs something there's a feat about being a chef interesting but i like i i think that you should be able to cook to regain hit points faster or 
The same way that medicine lets you stabilize. Like right? how in a video game, if you have certain ingredients, you mix them together, you get a potion. Yeah, like yeah. like basic alchemy. Um, also making poisons. If poison was actually supported in Fifth Ed, mm. cooking would be Cuts. really good as well. Like that's something that I would like to see, and I think that there's an avenue to be explored yeah. there. So, mm. what do you think, Megan? Um, I want to add something along the lines of I think so. Solve a couple of problems that we brought up before in the sense of being able to find out if someone is noble or being able to find out um, what's happening. In, in the streets but not necessarily using streetwise I would like I like lore so not necessarily history but the lore of a place mm-hmm. so we use this a lot in L5R and I think that D&D would benefit from this a lot is like having a lore and then you can actually like fine tune it so you have a lore of cities you have a lore of uh, creatures or something like that so that when you go into a city you know the nobility path you know the history of it you don't have to do a history check because you know the lore of the place this would also solve a lot mm-hmm. of my problems when I DM people that have played in a million games. At this point, I describe, I am a sentence and a half into the description of a creature, and Dan and Dave look at each other and go, so it's clearly this, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's absolutely that. I'm yeah. like, well, gee, fuck. I've complained about this yeah. a number of times. Yeah, Because it doesn't quite fit into a history check. It doesn't quite fit into a survival check, but like, what does my character know what this creature is? Give me a lore. So the way that I run it, personally, in my own games... <laughs> A, you're right. Yeah. I have my own workaround. And my workaround is, if it's from the planes, it's an arcana check. If it has to do with um, gods and demigods, it's a religion check. Or cults, it's yep. a religion check. Um, if it has to do with uh, beasts and plants, it's a nature check. And if it has to do with armies and humanoids, it's a history check. And if it's dragons, you can use any one of the checks. Yeah. Because dragons are inherently linked to religions and cults, as well as um, the plains, as well as personal history of kingdoms, and and they're out in like nature. They are yeah. they're what nature sprung from, right? Like yeah. so that's kind of how I look at that in order to get a lore check. How often does Dan ask me as a fucking bard? Do uh do I know anything about this creature? Every ten minutes. Fuck. <laughs> and then and thank God his character's from Ravnica, and they've got a very small bestiary in there yeah because i'm like no no you fucking don't you don't absolutely why would you and i ask him why why would you know this yeah oh i don't know Uh uh-huh yeah sit the fuck down yeah right so let's uh let's real quick i know that that i'm i'm just babbling here but uh really quickly in the player's handbook on page 175 there are other um, non-standard examples of how to use the ability checks outside of the skills. So when you're thinking about these things, um, like think about it like this. Strength is not just athletics. It's also forcing open a stuck, locked, or barred door, breaking free of bonds, pushing through a tunnel that's too small, hanging onto a wagon while being dragged behind it, tipping over a statue, and keeping a boulder from rolling. It's not just athletics. There's a lot of shit to do in there. Mm-hmm. Dexterity um, is... Controlling a heavily laden cart on a steep descent, steering a chariot around a tight turn, picking a lock, disabling a trap. We see a lot of that. I mean, that's sleight of hand, but there are other ways to do that, too. Yeah. Um, securely tie up a prisoner, wriggle free of bonds, play a stringed instrument, or craft a small or detailed object. You notice play a stringed instrument is under dexterity and not performance, or not uh, charisma, which is where performance is. Interesting. Under constitution, it says you can roll con checks to hold your breath, march or labor for for hours without rest, go without sleep, survive without food or water, or quaff an entire stein of ale in one go. Um, into, that. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> called the dwarven check. Yeah. 
Um, for intelligence, you are communicating with a creature without using words. Uh, estimating the value of a precious item. There's your appraise. There we go. Uh, pull together a disguise to pass as a city guard. So that's intelligence and not charisma for that. So mm. not, not performance or deception. Interesting. Do you know enough of the local culture to be able to put the disguise together? To exude. It does make sense because nothing drives me more crazy as a former military person. When I see like movies or something and I go and I can spot who the real soldiers are compared to the actors or the extras. I go that not real, not like that fast, that fast. Yeah. As soon as it comes up on the screen, hmm. yeah. I watched the video on YouTube of when people, uh, you know, like fuck with the Queen's guards and stuff, and it came on. I went, "That's not real. That's set up. That's set up. He's real. That's set up." Like just yeah. immediately, yeah. But, but what that, but, an interesting skill. But it is investigation in that you know it's. It doesn't matter how charismatic you are in pulling it off. You know immediately whether that uniform is correct or not. And it would be more investigation, I think, to do that. Yeah. Um, you can also uh, forge a document using intelligence, so not sleight of hand. Yeah, there's a forgery. Yeah. Yep. Uh, recall lore about a craft or trade. Megan, Boom. there you go. Yeah. Or win a game of skill. So this would be chess as opposed to dice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, wisdom uh, lets you use a uh, gut feeling about what course of action to follow. That one's a real slippery slope. That, I was going to say, yeah. I, I, ugh, I hate the idea of that one. Um, or discern whether a seeming dead or living creature is undead just at a like you would roll a wisdom check to be like is that guy way down that alley there that's shuffling along is he drunk or is he a zombie right mm. um for charisma you can find the best person to talk to for news rumors or gossip there's my gather information um or blend into a crowd to get a sense of key topics of conversation there are um also, there's also a variant that lets you say that you can use skills with different abilities. And this is the main thing that I think that people... We've kind of skirted around it, but I want to say it like really, really specifically because I don't think most people realize you can do this, most dungeon masters. You can use an intimidation check based on strength instead of based on charisma. Hmm. That's absolutely... Um, like, it's, it's a variant, but it's something that most DMs innately, inherently do once they have enough experience. So the idea that it doesn't make sense for you to, um, to have a performance check that's based on charisma when you're juggling. That's dexterity. I mean, I make Charlie and Dan roll performance checks all of the time because they're both from a circus, but Charlie juggles flaming knives and Dan is a bard. He plays instruments, right? Yeah. One of them is dexterity-based, one of them is charisma-based, but because Charlie is proficient with his tool set, I allowed him to add his proficiency to it regardless with his dex modifier instead of charisma. Yeah. And it's not hard to say that, to just say, hey, I think you'd be proficient with this. What's your dex plus your proficiency bonus? Add that to your d20 roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can do that across the board. I come up with the examples for the other ones, too. Um, athletics should be also a constitution if you are swimming in a for, like, a long distance or from the ship to the shore. That's not necessarily strength. That's constitution to me. Yeah. Um, perception uh, for intelligence. Um, for example, uh, I have. I like. I love going to museums. I don't necessarily get the same shit out of art that an art history major would. And all they have different is training. Yeah. Right. They have put the time and effort, the their intelligence modifier into this, so they can see the art, but they don't see it the same way that I see the art. Mm-hmm. They they get more shit out of it. Um, for um. 
Like, I don't understand why clerics and um, druids are wisdom casters, but religion is an intelligence check. Okay, yeah, very well. Yeah, I never should, thought about it. Should be wisdom, I think. Yeah. Would my god want me to do this? Should not be an intelligence check. That's a wisdom check. Yeah, I mean, I guess the argument might be like how well you know the texts or something. Or the studying. Yeah. yeah. Like the doctrine or whatever. I just figured that by level 10, you know it. Yeah. You just know it. I'm just thinking of like, and I know we've had this conversation of like Harry Potter's are sorcerers and not wizards, but I'm just imagining the Leviosa versus the Leviosa. Like yeah. that to me is an intelligence, not a... Sure. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that would be, that's why Arcana is an intelligence check. Yeah. Um, but I think that a sorcerer being able to know, like Luke using the force, that's not an intelligence check. That is a charisma check. Yeah, you're fair. Right? Mm. Um, and that's, that's sorcerer shit, right? So... Magic. Um, and then um, stealth. I really like the idea of, like you said before, walking through the crowd, rolling a stealth check using charisma mm-hmm. as well. Right? 100%. Um, can you blend in? Yeah. There are a number of ability check uh, proficiencies by class that are given. If you want to know whether or not someone would inherently be good at something, it actually breaks it down by class. Um, I'm going to go through it really quickly, except Artificer, because this came out before Eberron did. Mm-hmm. Um, starting from, uh, let's say, the bottom and working our way up. Wizards are just inherently proficient with ability checks uh, of intelligence or wisdom. Mm-hmm. Okay? Warlocks are intelligence or charisma. Sorcerers are also intelligence or charisma. That one feels a little weird to me. I would have liked wisdom, but okay. Yeah. Um, rogues are dexterity, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. I guess that depends on your subclass. Mm-hmm. Rangers are strength, dexterity, or wisdom. Well, because they're out in the world, right? They're going to be jumping and swimming and climbing. and that's So athletics. your athletics and your... Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that jumping, makes sense. Jumping wood. Yeah, there we go. Chopping wood, like like some guys on TikTok that that are just apparently thirst traps for everybody. I, I love that you are in the ladies of mimic chat. Yeah, like, that's, <laughs> I, it's me <laughs> and like four girls sitting there talking about about TikTok guys without shirts on, and I'm learning shit about myself. You're welcome. Um, paladins are strength, wisdom, and charisma. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yep. Uh, monks are strength, dexterity, or intelligence. Yeah. Not wisdom. No. What? What's your key point? Shit, like, it aren't, what? Aren't monks wise? I think, I think that what? if it's say, in the same kind of conversation before, though, like, monks are, tr- it's training. It's, it's you things that you remember and things you became inherently good at because of a knowledge base. But it's also like your force of will as well and your connection to the world. And I can make a strong argument for pretty much every single one. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, fighters are strength, dexterity, to your wisdom. Um, yeah, that checks out. And I guess wisdom because animal handling. Yeah. For when you have a steed or battle master. Understanding of what's going on. I think their attunement to the world is probably important. Perception, yeah. yeah. I think so as well. Um, druid is intelligence or wisdom. Mm. Um, cleric is intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. Bard is literally fucking anything. Yes. Um, and barbarian is strength, dex, or wisdom. So that's, I guess, like a good guide to just if... You need to know whether or not they would be proficient at this one weird skill I want them to roll. Yeah. You'd look at, at this table. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, from Xanathar's, it talks a lot about tool proficiencies. Now, we went through tool proficiencies in the Monks episode um, called uh, Martial Artisans. Didn't that take like an hour and a half? It was, a, it was a good time, yeah, but it was, it was a, a long time. It was a long time. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> it 
does say that uh, you can make tool proficiencies more attractive choices for characters. Uh, and if you want to, you can use a couple of different methods. Um, one of them is simply just giving advantage. If the use of a tool and the use of a skill both apply to a check and a character is proficient with the tool and the skill, consider allowing the character to make the check with advantage. I do that all the time anyway. I don't like to do... You guys, is that feels natural? Yeah, yeah, it just feels good. Uh, the thief with the sleight of hand and the thieves' tools, yes, they can pick the lock with advantage. Yeah, um, the other one is added benefit. In addition, consider giving characters who have both a relevant skill and a relevant tool proficiency an added benefit on a successful check. The benefit might be in the form of more detailed information or it could simulate the effect of a different sort of successful check. For example, a character proficient with Mason's tools makes a successful wisdom perception check to find a secret door in a stone wall. Not only does a character notice the door's presence, but you decide that the tool proficiency entitles a character to an automatic success to determine how to open the door. Hmm. I abs- That feels good. Like, we talk about the, the varying degrees of failure yeah there should be varying degrees of success too and if you have everything you need plus you're proficient which means you're trained in this yeah why would you fucking not why would you not know yeah so um let's grab dice and roll initiative again I got a one. Seven. All right, megan do you like the idea of uh like fluid skill checks uh which is to say like the not locked in where where performance has to be charisma? Or do you prefer, you know, the way that old editions ran where the skill was tied to a specific ability score? I think that 5th edition gives us the fluidity naturally to yeah. be able to blend in between different skill checks and things like that. And I think that's what makes 5th edition good and fun. And to your point, feels good for the players. Yeah. And also feels good for the DMs because you're giving them the opportunity to do something different to be a little bit more successful or making things slightly more challenging for people that, you know, bin max the shit out of things. You're like, okay, well, actually, technically what you're doing might be this. Let's try it this route. Mm -hmm. That... The fluidity gives it a better customization so that your players have more fun and your DM can have more fun depending on what's happening. So yes, I like the fluid checks better. Yeah, I agree. It gives the DM more control over yeah. the situation. I fucking hate min-maxing unless it's a one-shot. And uh, this this al- this ensures that there's still going to be challenge there, but it also, to Megan's point, provides an opportunity for players to feel uh, much more reward um, by uh, yeah by moving away from a standard uh, ability. Yeah, it comes back to when we talked about getting too granular with the skills in general. Like, if you get too granular with them and too detailed, then I feel like it sucks the fun out of it. Because you're like, oh, I'm sorry, you are not a mason. It's like, yeah. okay, but it's a door. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. Honestly, you took the words right out of my mouth. This is the answer to the granular topic. Is yeah. You can do anything with anything, but it takes a little bit of intuition to do that. It takes a little bit of experience as a DM to figure that out. And you've got to read... All of the player's handbook, all of the Dungeon Master's Guide, and all the Xanathars to be able to figure that shit out and put it all together. Yeah. It's not really... Dear 1 D&D, put all that shit in one chapter in the <laughs> in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Just fucking do that so that we don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And don't do it if it's going to make your life harder, that's what I would say. Yeah. You know, it, this is supposed to make the game more fun. If it's going to stress you more as a DM, just do it the standard way. Yeah, this also lets us have the players... Feel more empowered, even on the weird shit, instead of less empowered because they don't have enough points into whatever weird, obscure appraisal or gather knowledge or lore check that they didn't get. So they're always just rolling a straight d20. It doesn't doesn't feel great. But now you're coming up with special use cases to say, hey, you have these tools or you're proficient in this over here or you're a barbarian so you're naturally strong. Yeah, you'll get advantage. Or yes, you can roll on this. Or 
add your proficiency modifier. Because it's fluid, it feels better, and it gives you more agency as a player instead of less. Mm-hmm. Speaking of agency as a player, I think, Megan, you're uh, going to talk to us about tying people up? Absolutely, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where I'm going to start, and then we'll work our way to a couple of different things. And we don't kink shame on this <coughs> podcast. No, we, we don't. We don't. Absolutely no. not. So here we go. If it's fluid, it feels better, as Adam yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> Moist. Yeah, goddamn right. Um, so yeah, we're going to go through a couple of different variant rules um, in terms of a couple of different areas. Um, so I'm going to talk about tying knots for a hot sec. Or for, sorry, what did you say? A hot for minute. A hot minute. A Maybe hot I got minute. it from you actually. Maybe because I say hot sec a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of hot secs coming from. No, all right. I'm, I'm talking from... about tying knots. Yes, right. Coming from this table. Yeah. So I've been a part of campaigns where this has actually come into consideration on a regular basis, um, whether it be through sailing in a pirate-themed campaign, yep. um, or also playing through, you know, torture scenes, or just intense interrogations as as, as a whole. Or downtime with any one of Terry's characters. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so Xanathar's does give us an alternate way to determine the strength and accuracy of good rope play. Um, whoopst ever is tying the knot. Fuck. makes. <laughs> you so- do it all the time. <laughs> But you only do it in episodes that I edit, not ones that I'm at. This is the first time. Fuck. God. The word whomst. Whomst. You're also doing that thing where, which happens a lot these days, where super out there things people will try and talk about in a normal voice. Yeah. Like, so what you're doing is you're like, so what we're going to do is we're just going to tie a few knots and try a few different positions. And we're going to say, don't use a normal voice when you know you're talking about something which is out there, okay? Like, like I'll know what you're like doing. Like torturing people. Yeah. And I know that seems normal. This is part of why you're intimidating. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> learning so much about myself today. Yeah. So there's a few different sizes. Stop using a normal voice. <laughs> My Lanta, can I just get through this, please? Go ahead. Thank you. I feel like Terry right now. I'm getting a little flustered. <laughs> All right, Hoopstever is tying the. <laughs> that is annoying. <laughs> All right, whoever is tying the knot makes an intelligence roll or sleight of hand, and the total of the check is then the DC for someone to attempt to undo that knot. It's interesting that it's intelligence or sleight of hand. Yeah. Right? That's a perfect example of that not lining up to just be another dexterity check. Right. Yeah. Because um, then it flips into, yes, it becomes a DC to be able to undo the knot, um, or they can use dex, which is the acrobatics, to slip out of the knot. Yeah. How long does it take to tie the knot? It doesn't have a time frame. Well, normally you've got to be engaged for a while first, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, depending yeah. who you're um, paying. What's interesting as well, although <laughs> although it doesn't say it in the tying the knot section, it does mention it in the strength section that you can break knots and break bonds using a strength check as well. But I, I guess that that's like the strength of the rope. I guess so. Or the chain as opposed to the knot itself. Yeah. Because I, I imagine like your barbarian's going to be like, I'm just going to try and muscle my way out of this. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think that like if you think about variant rules and the fact that we want to do a more fluid thing, I feel like you could just say absolutely give me a strength check, but the DC might be higher depending on like if you're on a sailing ship and the ropes are solid ropes or if you're just in a dungeon and the rope's 50,000 years old. Yeah. Like I think that that's some things as a DM that you can take into consideration when using more of those fluid rules, right? Yep. Cool. Do you have any questions about tying knots? <laughs> no, I, I was in scouts. I know some shit. Absolutely, yeah. I was too. <laughs> All right, I, I gotta... read some books and watched some YouTube videos as well. Yeah, I no. use my hemp and rope. Hemp and rope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bless her. Thanks, Pia. <laughs> no, I've done it so many times. Oh my gosh. All right, I'm going to move into a couple of rules around falling as a whole. So, with falling, this is something players tend to forget 
to take into account as, and they probably feel as, as, you know, explorers, we feel safe on the ground, yeah. but it happens a lot. Um, it, like, even if you're in a dungeon, you could fall down a pit. Even if you're in a battle, then you can like fall off a cliff. Like falling just happens. I think it's my favorite way to cause damage actually. Yeah. Fall. So fall. for those that don't quite know, the basic way of taking damage for fall damage is 1d6 per 10 feet up to a max of 20d6. And then you land prone yeah. unless you manage to not take damage. Boo. Boo the max. Very, very, 20. very simple. Boo, terminal velocity. I want to make you a pancake. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> you should splash when you hit the ground. So here we go. <laughs> Let me give you some options here. So Xanathar's does give two alternate options for falling or just things to take into consideration. So the first thing is the rate of falling, which basically refers to that awkward moment when it takes a few turns to fall. So um, like if you jump off a building that's 300 feet high, how do you determine the damage and the turns and rounds, etc.? Because like if you're only going to move 60 feet in the air. Yeah, yeah you're falling for like 30 Five seconds. Rounds. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like okay. So basically one of the rules is that you just, once you start falling, you automatically fall 500 feet. This would help kind of, yeah, so this does help speed up the rate of play in my mind. And um, you can have your character just not falling for an entire battle. Yeah. But the damage is pretty much the same from what I understand, unless I'm incorrect. Well, yeah, if it's, if it's maximum 20, that's 100 feet. Yeah. No, sorry, 200 feet. You're just taking so, max damage. Yeah, you're just taking max damage from fall 500 feet. So out of an airship or off a dragon, like, there's not a whole lot of opportunities to fall 500, 500 feet. But it's there. It's there. Oh, it's definitely there. Yeah. And then I think that if They'll you were... find it. Yeah. The point of that whole variant rule is that, like, you're not falling for seven rounds while you're while you're fighting or what have you. I, I quite... I think I would prefer that, though. I know. I was thinking about this, too. Where I was just like, I kind of like that opportunity to do things while I'm falling. Right. Misty step or something. Yeah. Or, or continue to fight like Gandalf did. Yeah. Know, yeah. So it's a bit of a 50-50 for me. The terminal velocity of a human, thank you Google. Good. Yeah. Is about 66 meters per second or 216 feet per second. 216 feet per second around is 6 seconds so 1200 feet. Wow. So even 500 feet is slow. Yeah. If you like okay. flapping all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Then I guess it makes sense. Yeah. In the Love it. Um, the second thing Xanathar's gives us is that uh, the idea of flying creatures that are innately able to fly are then suddenly falling. Um, so like a bird or a dragon or something like that, right? This pertains to, again, to your flying creatures if they suddenly drop to a movement of zero. So this has come up a few times within our campaign, like I'm floating or I'm hovering or whatever, and my movement drops to zero. What does that mean? Yep. This variant rule kind of helps you with this. If you're hovering, though. Sorry, it's, it doesn't include magic. Yeah. Yeah. But also things like beholders can't fall. Yeah. If their movement speed becomes zero, they just hover in their place. They're just, this is just where I am now. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to lie down in the air. Yeah, just rotate yeah. 90 degrees. <laughs> so basically what you do is you subtract the character's flying speed from the distance um, that it fell um, to kind of calculate its fall damage. So like, for instance, if uh, you have a 30-foot fly speed and you fall 60 feet, then you would only take the 3d6 in fall damage. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So you half it. Um, the, the idea here is that a flying creature um, would do their best to stabilize themselves because they have an awareness of how to fly and stay aloft. What about if their movement speed becomes zero because they're paralyzed? Uh, then in my head, they hit. They're no longer a flying creature. Mm. They are a sack of potatoes. Yeah. Okay. You're no longer. This is like if it, yeah. If it just takes damage or. Yeah. Like if they're stunned and they've got to like, they've got to, they can flap their wings, but it's going to be bad. So they can like mitigate half of the damage. That I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. 
Um, now we're going to move on to some things that Tasha, Tasha's gives us. Um, one of those is falling into water. So now moving, so we have a few variant rules here, such as falling into water. Sorry, I don't know why I wrote that 7,000 like different times. This is what I'm doing. Liviosa. Liviosa. So Tasha's does give us the idea of falling into water. She's like Puff Daddy in a 1997 Can video, I? just like with all the arm movements at the camera. You know what I mean? I use my hands when I talk, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So the idea of falling into water doesn't necessarily mean just water. It does say that anything that is liquid itself. Sure. So this is where a creature can use a reaction to make a DC 15 strength save athletics or dex acrobatics to either land feet first or head first. <laughs> well, I mean, no, but that's, that's for diving, right? Like, I get that. Yeah. They should just be more specific because... I just, I just yeah. like how that is worded that way. Yeah. And I'm like, just not... To, but what if I just wanted to do a backflip, like a belly flop or yeah. whatever, right? But anyways, if they are successful, they only take half the damage. Sure. That makes sense, though, right? Like, you think about how people dive from these huge great heights and yeah. they don't take real damage yeah like if your team is running away and they dive off of a cliff and like into the water below right yeah. like some kind of um pirates of the caribbean bullshit like mm -hmm. that's a good way to kind of determine whether they take the full damage or not instead of hitting concrete or whatever right yeah um another thing tasha gives us is um basically what if you fall on another creature which we talked yeah, about you squish a hobgoblin <laughs> <laughs> again which i think we jokingly comment about a lot so if neither creature is tiny very specific to say that. Then the creature that is being landed upon needs to make a DC 15 deck save um, or be smacked by the falling creature. And the damage is then split evenly between the two creatures. Now you see, I feel like if the Tarrasque lands on a halfling, that shouldn't necessarily be split evenly between the two. I don't think the damage should be split evenly at all. I think they should both receive the same amount of damage. Yeah. Yeah. If I jumped off the building onto you, Megan, it's going to hurt me. It's not going to hurt me any less than if you weren't there. But You're not wrong. You're you. still hitting the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I just happen to be in between the two. <laughs> I, I, look, I always think about the the way that the Kraken um, throw mechanic works because it can hurl people yeah. with, with the tentacles, right? And the idea is that when they hurl you, you move sideways and then hit shit at the same damage that you do falling. Right. Yeah. So yeah. if you are flung sideways, therefore immovable object, and yeah, man, I, I take the damage. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm standing still and something moving sixty kilometers an hour hits me, I take sixty kilometers an hour worth of fucking damage. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I hear you. Um, speaking of that, like when we talk about the fluidity of things, there are some very specific rules. I won't touch on all of them, but you can definitely look some of these up if you're ever concerned. Like taking into consideration things like monks slow fall, mm -hmm. or like things like feather fall, or other things like that. Um. There are some... At that point, you're mitigating some of the fall damage because you're moving slowly for a portion of it, right? Yeah. So basically, uh, yeah. So slow fall, just to give you guys an idea, um, you can use your reaction when you fall to reduce any of any falling damage you take by an amount equal to five times your level. So you're just like, again, mitigating the damage. Um, okay. But like, it, it, again, like you sometimes DMs kind of get lost in like what comes first, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Like, mm -hmm. do you reduce the damage by 50% first or do you use the slow fall first? Like which one goes first? So the idea for the monks one is that like the damage is first reduced by slow fall and then like then it, the actual fall damage triggers. Right. If okay. that makes sense. I'm trying to make that. Yeah, make yeah, sense. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. First, you I always try to go specific and then general. Right. Yeah. So if like if your specific ability overrides or somehow impacts the general rule, that triggers first. Yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So then when you're thinking of other like specific rules, like if um. 
I'm trying to think of a very specific one. Like Spirit Shield is a very specific one where if you're raging and another creature you can see within 30 feet of you takes damage, you can use that reaction to reduce the damage by 2d6. So like if you have your barbarian fall and they're raging, like that's going to affect the damage. But but that damage has to already be rolled first so then you can reduce it, right? Exactly, right. But well, I mean, it's 2d6. You just roll the 2d6 at the same time that I'm rolling damage. And yeah. we just do math. <laughs> we just math it out. <laughs> But yeah, so it, I think that's when things get confusing for DMs is when you're using a bunch of like, da- or especially if there's something that has bludgeoning damage reduction, or if you're resistant to bludgeoning damage, yeah. which is what fall damage is, right? Which annoys me. That should be its own unique kind of damage, but that's just me. Yeah, I hear you. I think it should be crushing damage. Crush- At that point, my bones just shatter. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Um, all right. But that's pretty much all I have on falling. But there is um, one really cool variant rule that I feel like kind of fits into this theme a little bit, and that's around the idea of how to run away from an avalanche. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's going to happen. They put themselves in these positions. So Tasha's does have a little bit of a rule set on how to handle avalanches, which... if you would all agree that I feel like you could use this for like rock slides, you can use this for other natural yeah. disasters that can occur. Vol- volcanoes exploding, shit like that. Exactly, yeah. right? So Tashis does describe this as like Like not erupting, exploding. Exploding. The volcano's mountain just boom. <laughs> yeah, right. like, Whoopsie doodle. Um, but yeah, Tashis does describe this as a, or an avalanche being anywhere from 300 feet wide to 150 feet long to about 30 feet thick or height, in my opinion. So depth of yeah. What the girth of this avalanche is. What the girth of your avalanche yeah. is. That's a solid girth at 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Wider than it is long, though, so that's that's problematic. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it's not, depending on what you need. Um, so the avalanche does travel the 300 feet until it can't travel anymore, kind of thing. Yeah, so. whether or not you better get tied yourself first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the basic rules are if a creature is in the avalanche, they travel along with it or and are considered prone. They then make a strength saving throw with a DC 15, taking 1d10 bludgeoning damage on a failed save or half on a success. So you can live in an avalanche for quite some time. That's fun. Yeah. But then again, it is 300 feet like of, of wee. <laughs> yeah, you're doing this over and over and over. Your yeah. wizard's going to... Gonna yeah. die. Your barbarian might gets bludgeoning damage, right? Yeah. The barbarians are like, we. This is what a great time we're having. <laughs> um, but however, this is how it kills them. So when the avalanche does stop, the creature is then buried. So I thought about this when you told us your dragon story, like, dra- yeah. It's my new favorite thing is using the different types of speeds, burying people. Yeah. But when you're buried, it does make you blind and restrained, um, and you are within total cover. So, like, if you have the wizard trying to spe- trying to find you or using spells to try and heal you, they can't see you. Yeah. Um, being buried this way also gives one level of, o- of exhaustion per every five minutes you are buried. So if you are there for too long, you will not have the strength to get yourself out. So, yeah, that's a half hour. It still seems too long. But, However, yeah, okay. it gets worse. Yay. So on their turn, uh, you can try and dig yourself out as an action on a uh, DC 15 strength check um, and to kind of like pull yourself your speed or what have you. or sure. your yeah, But if you fail three times, you can no longer dig. Oh, no. So it's kind of like a fail That's save. Death it's, it's a death save. That's death So save. if you fail three times and you are, you are buried. And then you rely on other people to come get you. Exactly. Oh, no. This is great. Yeah. Huh. So if you end up rolling and failing or like getting exhausted, like it just compiles and then you just, uh, you just die in there. But the girth is only 30 feet, but you would have to know what direction to dig, which means in my mind, this brings survival. in those very rules of a survival role. Yeah. 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 To know which direction to go. 
Yeah, survival. Yeah, yeah. Huh, wow. Well, that was a fun adventure. We went from uh, rope tying to falling to just being buried alive. No matter how we do it, we're getting restrained and we can't move, right? Unless yeah. we're <laughs> plunging into the ground. Let's roll. Yay! Nice. Two. Fifteen. Five. All right, Terry, how do you feel about the fall rules? Yeah, I, I, I don't mind them. I can work with them. There's enough kind of... Um, there's enough ways to work around it where I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. Um, so I don't mind the falling rules, if I'm honest. I think they're not deadly enough. If I kick your ass off of an airship in Eberron, you should die. Short of something miraculous happening, you should die. Yeah. Um, I just don't like the idea of players wily coyoteing their way through this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they leave a crater in the ground and they get up and that's all. If you land on a spike, Adam, should you take the bludgeoning damage from the floor and the piercing damage from the spike? That's always how I run it. I feel like you would yeah. take the piercing damage first and then the bludgeoning damage. Uh, that's got the for these things. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, when it's something like a like a um, spiked pit trap or something, I'm not going to give you bludgeoning damage on that. You just fall onto the spike. Like, that's already taken into consideration. Sure. But if you are falling off of a building onto some armaments, then, and you're going to get skewered so badly, you hit the ground as well. Yeah. Yeah, spike and then, I don't know, I guess maybe, maybe it would, maybe that would slow your, your descent for the last, I like, don't. eight feet. Depends on how large just like, just like impaled and then slowly. If anybody said that, I go, sure. Well, minus one D6 then. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Roll your 19 D6. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, my biggest concern there is whether or not you are landing head first or feet first, because that impale is real bad both ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of thing where you don't want to do that. You want to take it through center mass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. but not sideways. No. Gangs in New York, that's a kill. That's a wound. That's a kill. You remember that movie? I don't know what you're talking Gangs about. Gangs in New York? New York? Never seen it. That's oh, a wound. It's... That's a kill. Never that's seen a... it. Fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you stab someone fr- in the front, that's a wound. If you stab someone in the side, like, because you're going for the kidneys. Yeah. Right? Or you're going for, like, like, like the liver or something. That's very yeah. Romeo and Juliet with a tis well, scratch. <laughs> yeah. Um, both about injuries, but really a completely different thing. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> well, he gets stabbed in the side. Leonardo DiCaprio was in both movies. <laughs> was he actually? Yeah, yeah, he was dating a 25 year old at the time. No. Uh, isn't he always? <laughs> like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, I'll defend him if your girlfriend's 27 and she's the oldest girlfriend he's ever had. So. Is it because the internet called him out on it? I don't. He's Leonardo DiCaprio. He doesn't give he a fuck. He can what do whatever he thinks. wants. He I, does I feel like Jonah Hill's like, Leo, come on. Uh, date someone closer to your own age. All right, I'll go two years out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm uh, pretty clearly. I love fall damage. That I like the way that it that it works in fifth edition. I just wish it did more. I think it should not have a terminal velocity of 200 max damage. You keep in mind too that, or sorry, it's not even 200. It's uh, was it 20 d6? Yeah, that's 100. Uh, that, yeah, but that only. Max 120. That's max 120. It's an average of like 61, 65, somewhere in that round. Yeah. Right? Like, that's that's nothing. That's nothing. It's not a lot, is it really? No. I mean, even a D6 hit die character is going to survive that on level 12, right? They're going to be make And you're making death saves. So even then, like, you hit zero hit points, you still get up and walk away. That's true. Right? And it's not enough. Yeah. I do like I do like the one d six per ten feet and just that yeah I'm gonna keep going so, yeah. yeah 
Do you feel that like, because like my only thing with the falling rules sometimes is when you're playing in a D&D campaign, I sometimes feel like you get pigeonholed as a DM to do it the same way every time. So like, let's say someone like falls off the side of a building and you just do regular fall damage. And then seven episodes down the line, someone jumps off a cliff and it's like, nope, we're following the same rules. You're like, no, no, we'll, we'll use the variant 500 feet and then so on and so forth. Like, how do you feel about dancing between using variant and using regular? Well, okay. So the way that I do it, myself is I outline how the damage is going to hit. Like, this is a big epic thing. If you're going to fall into a volcano, for example, I'm going to explain to you if you're going to take this much fall damage, and these are the dice I'm going to roll, and then on top of that, we're doing heat damage from that, and you got to do swim checks to get out of the lap. Like, I'm going to lay it all out for you. But only in the big extreme things. If you're falling off a second-story building, no. I'm just rolling damage. damage, Yeah, yeah. But the moment it starts to get epic, like, it's it's a set-piece kind of level of damage. Yeah. I'm going to lay it all out and then I kind of pause as if waiting for someone to argue. Yeah. Because if someone says, well, wait a minute, in the past we've done it this way, then my response, I either have to justify why I, why I say that. Yeah. Like, we are working as a team. I'm not a confrontational DM on this. Yeah. If you absolutely hate that or you think it's unfair, fine. I don't want you to have a bad time. I'm willing to let this go. But I then say, moving forward, yeah. we will be rolling it like this. This is the rule moving forward. Um, and I've done that uh, recently with um, flanking rules. Yes. We don't play with flanking rules anymore. What? I love flanking Yeah, rules. we don't fight yeah, none more. But, but it means that the rogue is always, always, always getting the sneak attack in all of the fucking time. But it they really... only get one attack, and their whole their the, the rogue is very. I'll fight this to the death. It's their whole life is trying to position themselves in the right position to get that one attack. Right. So then, why do they get advantage at the in the same way that the paladin also gets advantage? Right. So like. I, I don't, I don't, I feel like it's taking away a little bit from the rogue and also making their special unique move more mundane. So I took away flanking rules to let the rogue feel more special. When sneak attack hits, it's better. And Charlie's playing a swashbuckler. Yeah. So he's getting all sorts of advantage and shit all the time on mm-hmm. stuff anyway. So it's It mostly good. came up because Charlie and my character tend to just... The monk and the rogue. Well, flanking <laughs> is, is direct opposite, but you can get, that's, that, the only way that relates to sneak attack is because direct opposite gives you advantage, but you don't need to be directly opposite for sneak attack to kick in. Flanking. And you don't need advantage. I, uh, flanking rules I thought was just adjacent. I thought it was essentially pack tactics. Oh yeah, basically pack tactics is how we played it at our table. I think it's opposite. But. Uh, 5e flanked. Because sneak attack is advantage on the roll or an ally within five feet of the enemy. Uh, when a creature and at least one ally are within five feet of the same enemy on opposite sides, that enemy is flanked. Opposite sides. Right. It starts to get a little bit fucky though when when you're playing on a on a grid, right? Where you have to be in the exact correct space. Like the rogue is, is not able to do that in most hallways now because you can't get to the other side of the creature, mm-hmm. right? So I I don't know. I don't play with flanking rules. I think that they're too they're too powerful. It rewards everybody yeah. instead of just the rogue, and the rogue then feels more mundane. I'm really conscious about not stepping on other subclasses and classes' toes about stuff as well. I don't miss it that much, to be honest with you. No? No. Because I like, I, like, I like movement and position. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, that was a segue. Um, what are your thoughts on the avalanche rules, Terry? You know what? I like the avalanche rules because if I didn't uh, hear them from Megan then and I had to come up with them because I would have forgot to look in the tashes or something, I probably would have done something very similar to that. Yeah. So it lines up with my train of thought. Yeah. They're super fucking deadly. Yeah. I would be really, really hesitant to use that three times and you're dead shit. Or it's not even three times you're dead. Three times and you're 
you can't dig anymore. Yeah, right? and then you're slowly dying. <laughs> yeah, and you're slowly dying, and everybody else is just like digging randomly, and you as a DM have to swap over to theater of the mind. Are you able to do perception checks to hear them screaming for help? Can they take breaths deep enough? Have they dug themselves upwards or downwards? Uh, when was the last time? Where was the last place that we saw them? Is there other shit? Like, the problem with an avalanche is not just that it is, like, mud or snow on top of you. It's also trees and rocks, rocks. and other shit, too, right? Like, there's a lot to go through. It feels really deadly. Really, really deadly. If you get caught in an avalanche, you're who? Um, I'm not going to... I'm going to use all the avalanche rules except for that dig, like, the three times, um, unless I'm dealing with a tier three party or more. Yeah, because like I feel like the exhaustion brings in like if you're taking way too long to do it, that yeah. is going to be your sense of urgency. In my yeah. mind, you don't need the extra added. But if you fail three times, then you're fucked. Yeah, the only way I would maybe adjust that slightly so that they could keep digging was to would be to take something that you taught me, Adam, which is to, you if you can change the situation, then you can try again. Yeah, if and that's that's my big thing on all skill checks in general. Yeah, if if you roll perception and you fail and you want to roll again. What did you do differently yeah. to make this a different kind of scenario, different situation to roll in, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that. yeah, I guess that's something I would do for, but I mean, what are you going to do differently when you're buried alive? I mean, right? Like, you could might, you might say, okay, I pick up the snow to see which way it falls, and then I poke my rapier up, and I can see light, and now I, I oxygen. Okay, try again. Sure. I'm sure you can get creative when you're panicking, right? People, yeah, Sense of agency gives you the <laughs> creativity. Yeah. Uh, if I can be honest, I would just say um, I would split the difference and say the three failures thing is not a factor. Um, and you have ten rounds. Yeah, there you go. Because people fucking panic. Yeah. So. And ten rounds is a long time. Yep, ten rounds is a full minute. You have a minute to claw your way out or to or you start doing death saves. I like how I just admitted that one minute is a long time. <laughs> one minute? <laughs> Is a long time. Depends what's going on, really. Because <laughs> that's what the activity is, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, I have a legitimate fear of being buried alive. Like, that's something that fucking terrifies me. So the idea oh. of a full minute of that. Yeah. Also, we live in Vancouver where I think about that shit every time that everyone mentions an earthquake. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not worried about getting crushed. I'm worried about getting trapped. Yeah. Yeah. Anything with my arms restricted like this, I can't. Anything. Yeah. I think it must be something from getting rolled up in a carpet as a kid or something. Mm. My arms are restricted. Why were you rolled up? What child mafia did you piss off? Look, man. Just, gotta, just happens, then it? Find yourself in a situation. I don't know. <laughs> That's it? You're just going to trail off with that? Yeah. We're not getting any more? Terry, just, uh, Terry had a rough childhood with the, the kid mafia. Pissed yeah. off the wrong tooth fairy. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I got rolled up in a carpet, but I feel like it definitely happened. It must have contributed to the... Um, the, the current the, kinks the that you have? <laughs> why does I always go back to kinks with you? I'm just saying, internalized childhood trauma creates your kinks as an adult. I feel like it gets true? to a point where... Hold up. Hold on. Think about it. Put it together. Myself. Think about it. Think about it. I feel like it gets to a point with some stuff where it's not even kinks anymore. It's just like Tuesday. Not like... Like Dan made a joke the other day and he was to me and he was like, oh, Terry with his fluffy handcuffs. And I was like, fluffy handcuffs is such a fucking noob thing to do, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucking choking on your own spit and praying to God when you're with me, son. Next. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I think Adam's thinking about it now. Oh yeah, no, this is this is not a small conversation I have to have with myself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's, there's gonna be some soul searching, Terry. Fluffy. What do you got for I us? I think it's more perverted if they're fluffy. To be okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what have I got for? Creates false expectations. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Never mind. Keep going. Okay. All right, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. I'm going to talk to you guys about carrying. 
Okay, and we're going to, uh, I'm going to start specifically by just revisiting the rules for carrying capacity and strength rules. Okay. Because it's not always clear to people. So your strength score is what determines the amount of weight that your body can bear, your character's body can bear. Uh, and the, and these following terms will define what you can lift and carry. So for your carrying capacity, your strength score multiplied by 15 is your carrying capacity. This weight is in pounds. Uh, and that is high enough that most characters usually don't have to worry about it. It's a little bit different for pushing, dragging, or lifting. So you can push, drag, or lift a weight in pounds up to twice your carrying capacity or 30 times your strength score. While you are pushing or dragging weight in excess of your carrying capacity, your speed drops to five feet. Okay. When it comes to size and strength, larger creatures, obviously, can bear more weight, whereas tiny creatures can bear less. For each size category above medium, you double the creature's carrying capacity and the amount it can push, drag, or lift. For a tiny creature, you halve weights. Now, we have a variant rule in 5th edition for encumbrance. So if you carry weight in excess of 5 times your strength score, you are encumbered, which means your speed drops by 10 feet. You can also be heavily encumbered. If you carry weight in excess of 10 times your strength score up to your maximum carry capacity, you are instead heavily encumbered, which means your speed now drops by 20 feet and you have disadvantage on ability checks, attack rolls, and saving throws that use strength, dexterity, or constitution. Okay, when it comes to equipment sizes... Hold on. Ability, your strength score, not your strength mod, right? Right. Your strength score, not your modifier. So, That's correct. So that is, you said 10 times, so the average peasant, for example is heavily encumbered above 100 pounds. Right, or encumbered above 50 pounds. So if you had a 50-pound pack... Well, if, you got, if, you, if you're carrying 100 pounds, if your average person is carrying 100 pounds, you have disadvantage on fighting. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Even just trying to maneuver and move things around. Yeah, so unless you're running in a straight line, you're not looking behind you. <laughs> That's it. Serpentine. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Incidentally, make sure your backpack is the last thing you put on because if you get attacked, shot out or something, the backpack comes straight off. Make sure it's not underneath your webbing and your equipment and stuff. Oh, you're fucking dead. Or turn around. I'm learning so much today. There you yeah. go. You're welcome. Backpack's the last thing you go on. Okay. When it comes to equipment sizes, this is something I don't follow too closely, but I'll get your guys' opinion on. Mm. So like armor and stuff and, you know, um, the different equipment that you would wear is going to be set to a certain size creature. A medium creature means that, you know, naturally your plate armor probably Probably shouldn't fit the gnome if they decide that they want to put it on, and also probably shouldn't fit the uh, minotaur because they're considered <laughs> large. I think, right? Uh, the medium. N- right? Well, the player character is medium. The monster is large. large oh, that's yeah. right. That is correct. Yeah. Because all I am thinking about is that our campaign we did play out a scene where our what is it our um, our furbolg our furbolg put on a piece of armor that was like a regular size, and we told him it was a crop like top. Like a crop top. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his, his belly was hanging out. Yeah. He still got all the benefits of it, but it's for flavor purposes. Oh. His belly was hanging out. I love it. Okay, I did want to. I meant to grab a player's handbook, Adam, if we have one, so we can take a look at armor, weapons, and gear lists. Yep. Top, top. Up top. Top left. Those are in chronological order. Page 156. 46. What did you say? 150? Yeah. He's correct. That's gear. He's yeah. correct. Okay, well, we can do, um, let's do, no, well, let's do armor first. Armor's a couple of pages over. Sure. 
Okay, so let me, I'll, I'll fly through these. And what I'm looking for is if any of the weights uh, you think are, are, are ridiculous or, or incorrect. So for light armor, starting with padded, 8 pounds. Leather, 10 pounds. Studded leather, 13 pounds. Okay, all right. Padded leather, or padded armor, everybody thinks that's just a robe. No, it's 8 pounds. Like, think about how heavy that is. That is like... It's like it's like wearing a weighted blanket in yeah. my mind. Yeah, yeah, like it. That shit is heavy. It does protect you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Medium armor. So starting with hide, twelve pounds. Chain shirt, twenty pounds. Megan. Scale mail, forty-five pounds. Breastplate, down to twenty pounds. Half plate, back up to forty pounds. Interesting. Okay, good. Okay. Following, I guess. Heavy armor, ring mail at 40 pounds. Chain mail, 55 pounds. Splint, 60 pounds. Plate mail is 65 pounds. Splint is... Oh, I guess. I guess. Yeah, splint is heavy. Okay, so a lot of this chain mail, ring mail level shit, when you actually look at how it's constructed, that shit's fucking heavy. It's, well, it's and layers, it's, right? It's layers yeah. and it's intricate and it's not like there's one big light panel that's curved and that's what's doing it it's a bunch of little pieces that are all jammed together and they're all still made of metal yeah like yeah that makes sense that makes sense i assume that it would be damned difficult to like and this is why i don't like medieval battle scenes with with battle of the bastards or helm's deep where they're all just like running up and down stairs and hills and shit i'm like no way after 50 feet you're fucked with that stuff Shields at six pounds. What do you think? Um, like what kind of like just shields? Just a shield. There's no kinds of shields yeah, anymore. But so if you, how long but, can you go like this with six pounds? Like it's gonna bother you after a while. I can wield a six pound <laughs> item for quite like some time. You think? Yeah. All right. Okay. I think you guys will struggle, me included. For six pounds like this for a long time, it'll bother you. For sure. You guys don't seem phased by this. I think it will. I just love that we're like in a non-visual, like, and you're trying to say, like, when your arm going like this, moving it's like, my arm. he's yeah, moving no, his no, arm no, around. No, can see you, like, one arm flapping, like a handicapped duck over there. It's like his chicken wing in the corner, being like, yeah. it would be difficult. This would be so yeah, difficult. No, okay, no, you're right, because it's that's not just about strength, that is about endurance. That's yeah, it, it's exactly. a maneuver. Muscular yeah. endurance. It's going to mm-hmm. bother you after, sooner than you think it will bother you no i agree okay. with you sorry i should have said that earlier than just okay. staring you down okay let me do weapons because i actually googled sorry i duck duck goad some of these okay. uh, <laughs> did you alta vista some of these <laughs> <laughs> we yahooed the answers <laughs> ask jeeves <laughs> okay okay let me tell a quick 30 second story. I'm it's gonna about my sister. I'm going to call Terry Jeeves now, but I, I think that's racist. It's back to my sister. Back to my sister. My sister and her friend, years ago, and this, the day that this happened, she told me the story, and I almost pissed myself, went for a job at Ask Jeeves, and then they, like, how did you find out about the company? And they said, I Googled it in the middle of the interview. That was it, right away. Like, it was yeah. a trick question. They were like, well, interview fucking over, son. Off you go. Nice. Yeah. I, I would have said the same thing. Okay, some of these surprised me, but I Googled them. And, uh, and the weights are actually true. I'm not going to go through everything. I'm just going to go through the ones that surprised me. Um, so, Warhammer, only two pounds. Yeah, but it, it's it's the construction, it's the corners on the end of it. Warhammers are small and light and fucking deadly. I used to work at a warehouse... Um, for a uh, uh, like hand tools and and um, I was getting suspicious how long he was chatting. Yeah, sorry, I, could, I, I, I couldn't think of the word 
I was like, utilities? No. It's like, like, where are you so, working that you have war hammers? No, no, no. no. Just... <laughs> but, but we had like six pound sledge, eight pound sledge, yeah. ten pound sledge. Those things are massive. Those things are way bigger. You couldn't wield that in a battle. Yeah. When you see a zombie movie where someone's wielding a sledgehammer, fuck off. No, you swing that shit once and your arms are tired, right? And so, yeah, like a war hammer, you're taking that into battle to hit over and over and over. Two pounds. Two right? pounds. And it's the head of it, the construction of the head of it, that's going to make all of the difference, right? Because I think we often, when we Fair. when we visualize yeah. warhammers, we're visualizing more of like a mall, real, like that kind of size. And they're coming in at 10 pounds. Yeah, like... Yeah, with with these things that don't end in a point or a blade, it's going to be fucking... I don't know anyone to say this. The ridges on the head that are going to do the majority of that bludgeoning damage. Can we all just be adults in the floor? No, nope, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> right, like it, it's it's the fucking corners on the on the fucking hammer that's gonna do the damage. Uh, pike, eighteen pounds. That's by far the heaviest uh, weapon. Well, pikes are fucking long. They're giant. I wonder if that's taking into consideration the idea that shits like weighted, like, like the physics of a lever, right? Where like the, where the weight is, yeah, yeah, right. And the metal tip is yeah. way down the end. So pikes at eighteen pounds are three times the weight of a halberd and a glaive. I thought they might be similar in weight. I. I yeah, I am surprised. By that those that. aren't all in the same kind of class. But to your point, maybe but they, they all are have reach, right? Uh, they're all reach weapons. So yeah, so they all are ten foot reach. So in theory, they're roughly the same distance. They're considered the same length, technically. The same length, and a halberd and a glaive would have in my head bigger, bigger ends. Like a halberd almost has an axe head at the end of it. Yeah, right? halberds are giant. Yeah. yeah. So I'm surprised that maybe it's, you know what it is, Terry, is maybe because historically speaking, it's the kind of wood that was used, like, for the construction of them for different regions of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, pikes come from a denser wooded kind of area as opposed to, like, using you as opposed to oak. Fair. Using me? Yes. As I as I like to do. Um, heavy crossbow is 18 pounds, yeah. whereas a light crossbow is only 5 pounds. Yeah. So it's more than three times the weight. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah, heavy uh, crossbows are fucking unwieldy. Yeah. Okay, let me fly through some adventuring gear here. Uh, I almost said alchemist fire, 50 pounds. It's not as 50 gold pieces. (laughs) (laughs) 50 pounds of alchemist fire? I could could have a good weekend with that shit. Okay, this one surprised me because I thought it was too heavy, but it was actually not heavy enough. So a barrel at 70 pounds, but uh, I googled it. A French oak barrel is typically around about 90 pounds. I thought 70 pounds was way too heavy for an empty barrel. Yeah, and you're like, nope, never mind. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm wrong. Well, it's because the wood is fucking treated over and over and over again, right? Like, it's yeah. it's not just just the planks. That, that wood is saturated all of the time. For to that, get the bend. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's it's waterproof. There's also all sorts of like oils and shit that are all over like fuck. I can't have this conversation. I can't talk if it's all the heads and oils. Sledgehammers are ten pounds. Remember warhammers were two pounds. Yeah. Should I be using a sledgehammer, not a warhammer? You should be putting an oak barrel on the end of a stick. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that's about it for all of the interesting ones. Ladders are twenty five pounds. If anybody's interested, um, that's bullshit. How much is a, a ladder? Uh, I have carried like for work wooden ladders and a six foot to eight foot ladder. I guess normally they're ten foot because traditionally speaking, people used to cut the ladders in half and have two ten foot poles and then sell the ten foot poles because they were uh, worth more than the fucking ladders. Were. Right. Yeah. Right. So so a ten foot ladder, fifteen pounds. Right. Like, like easy. One one handed off the fucking roof of a car and up flights of stairs, no problem. <laughs> and like such a weird brag, wasn't it? No, 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 no. That that's not a brag. I like I'm not particularly like physically strong guy. Terry, you, you, you could it. fucking 
They're just light. Wooden ladders are light. Yeah. They're designed to be mobile. Mo- right. Yeah, to yeah. move them it's around. It's just the way it came up. One-handed, off the roof, <laughs> off the stairs, no problem. <laughs> off the roof, oh, okay. no, no, okay. But uh, you guys can picture Dan moving a 16 to 18 foot ladder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? Like, and he, again, he, that's one-handed, walking down the fucking, like, hallway or down the street or whatnot. They're unwieldy, but they're not heavy. Fair. Okay. All right. I want to touch on a couple of spells here. In particularly, Tensor's Floating Disc. Which uh, I found on the internet. Somebody used it as like a makeshift uh, magic carpet. That was a good idea. Uh, it's a first level spell. It has a range of 30 feet. It lasts for an hour. So it creates a circle of force energy, essentially, that is three feet in diameter. It's about an inch thick. And it floats three feet above the ground. But this disc holds up to 500 pounds. And it follows the uh, the caster from a distance of 20 feet away. It can float above any kind of terrain, uh, but not an elevation change of 10 feet or more. So it cannot bypass pits, for example. The spell ends after one hour. If the caster moves more than 100 feet away, or if more weight is put in the disc than it can handle. But it holds up to 500 pounds. That's intense. It's such a very specific skill, like like spell. Though, like, I feel like you would have to know that you had to carry something out of a dungeon, or like, you know, like it's so specific. You used it in a one shot once for some fucking thing. Yeah, there was a bunch of shit uh, uh, that was I think against across a lava pit, yeah, or something. Like, I there wasn't a change in elevation; it was just spikes or or something. And I used it to cross this barrier, get underneath whatever the podium was, and then lift the thing up and bring it back. Right, yeah. like that was the second one is levitate. I feel like people get. This wrong. They confuse it with fly sometimes, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. One creature or object of your choice that you can see within range um, rises vertically and it does so up to 20 feet and it can re- it will remain suspended there for the duration of the spell. Uh, this spell can also lift something that weighs up to 500 pounds. An unwilling creature that exceeds on a constitution saving throw is unaffected, though. So another weight-related one there. But uh, the whole point of this spell is you're just levitating. You It's almost as though like you're floating in space. You have to push yourself off walls and objects to be able to move. And that one's vertical. The other one is specifically horizontal. I feel like you could use both of them in tandem if you have two mages. Sure. Right? One's using tensor floating disc and the other one can see it as is an object and then levitates it. Mm-hmm. Right? Up. Like, that could be fun. That's a good use of, of teamwork. Entertainment, yeah. Yeah. Okay, the last thing I want to touch on here, sorry, second to last thing I want to touch on is uh, Graviturgy Wizard's Adjust Density trait. And this was brand new to me because I hadn't read into this until the podcast here. So Graviturgy Magic lets you choose from an expanded list of spells where you can learn a wizard spell. And it's these following spells uh, that are added. Okay, so starting at second level, you can do this as an action. You can magically alter the weight of an object or a creature that you can see that is within 30 feet of you. The object or the creature must be a large size or smaller. Uh, The target's weight is halved or doubled for up to one minute or until your concentration ends. While the weight of the creature is halved by this effect, the creature's in, uh, speed will increase by 10 feet, and it can now jump twice as far as normal. It does have disadvantage on strength checks and strength saving throws, though. While the weight of the creature is doubled, the creature's speed reduces by 10 feet, and it now has advantage on strength checks and strength tra- strength checks and strength saving throws. What do you think? I like it. Um, it's, it's good and bad. It's one of those things of from, you know, one of these books that not everybody buys, right? Because from the Wildbound book. Yeah. If my players have never seen this before, I'm going to hand that out as a scroll. That's a really cool thing to do or a wand that can cast I was going to say like a wand would be really cool yeah. to have yeah. this a part I, of. Yeah. I like this as a utility thing that people can use. I don't love it as a class feature that fucking annoys me. Yeah. The fact that you're just messing with my shit for the whole campaign. Right. I got to start thinking 3D as a DM for everything. Oh, we're heading to the elemental plane of air just so I have a reason for people to nail shit down down always. <laughs> <laughs>
I love it. Okay, last thing for me is powerful builds. So what powerful builds do uh, is that um, it makes you count as a large creature for the purpose of lifting and carrying things. So what does that mean exactly? Okay, so so by by the player's handbook, a creature can a medium sized creature can carry an amount equal to fifteen times its strength score on pounds, right? But if you have a powerful build, you are a medium creature, which is considered a large creature for this purpose, which means you would be able to um, do double that. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you'd be your medium sized creature that, uh, for strength purposes, is considered a large creature. Okay. Would be the easiest way I could have put it. Yeah. But what are these creatures? Okay. So bugbear, centaur, furbolg, gif, which is the hippopotamus one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Goliath, loxodon, which is the elephant thing, and orc. Yes. Yep. So it's just those ones. They get powerful build. I am so fucking tired of powerful build. Yeah. Dan's playing a furbolg right now, and every time that he wants to lift, there was like a two thousand pound fucking bell in a bell tower that you guys like broke and knocked away and he's like oh I could just catch that right no you are not Superman you cannot catch that no well, you can't. you're a cow sit down <laughs> <laughs> no yeah Dan, Dan could uh, could lift a 50-pound uh, d- dumbbell if he needed to you could pick it off the floor if I throw it at him it's going to be a very different story <laughs> This bell is having, it'll, it'll take the fall damage. It'll take half the damage the bell takes. It sounded like I was shitting on Dan then because it was Dan's story. Any person, I mean, not just Dan. Although we should do that to Dan. Yes, we should throw shit at Dan. Yeah, 100%. So that's me, Adam. I'm ready for the conversation questions if you are. <laughs> um, how often do you guys focus on weight in your campaign? Let's roll initiative. Yeah. 16. Oh. 11. 18. Oh, fuck. All right. Okay, Megan. Last with an 11. Fuck. Okay. How often do <laughs> you focus on weight in campaign? Not a whole heck of a lot unless it comes up specifically. Like, you know what I mean? Well, you're the DM. Don't you bring it up? Not not really. Not a lot. Uh, not until it's a rickety bridge. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, you know, like, yeah, it's very situational in my mind. Like, I don't put a lot of thought into the weights of things until something occurs. Like, to your point, if you have a loxodon or, like, a furbolg and you come up to a rickety bridge, you decide to walk across it, you're like, ah! We'll take weight into account in this moment. You know what I mean? But it's not something I probably would have taken into account when I built the encounter. Right. Shall I say. Like, I would not have been like, oh, I'm going to put this rickety bridge here because this this cow is going to fall through it. You know, like, I don't, that's not something I'll think of. Whereas I know that's something Adam would think of. Yeah. yeah. But it's not me. I would think of it in the moment I would not plan for it. It's not something I really think to plan for. Right. Yeah. I have a fair use policy for uh, for weights. I think it sounds like Megan probably has the same thing where I'm not going to keep bringing it up all the time. The the, the the only time that I deal with encumbrance really is, is gold. I don't like the idea that players will walk around with 6,000 gold pieces. It ruins the whole point of gold and so I will weigh that a little bit. I don't let them carry any more than 500 gold pieces each, which even that I think is too much realistically. That's a backpack. That's a hefty purse. It's a lot, right? I'm going to take that rolled down. coins? Like, holy shit. They're yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna take it down to 200, I think. Uh, so that's the only time. Um, I do have more of a focus on weight now, though, in my campaign because my party needs to be challenged more because they're very fucky with stuff, and so I'm gonna start leaning into those rules that are often overlooked mm-hmm. to give them another challenge. I think there's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gave a curse, and I thought this was a curse that would then you guys would go fix. I knew hags were coming up, and so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this character. Have metal bones. Oh yeah. And it it five hundred pound dragonborn. Five hundred pound oh, shit, dragonborn. Yeah. yeah. In a pirate campaign, everything was water or mud, right? And so she was consistently dragging her feet and trying hard not to fly. 
Because everyone else can swim. Her strength was her dump stack. She was going to sink. Mm-hmm. And she was going to die. So, like, anytime the ships got rocked, she, like, ran into the center of the ship. Like, that's it. I'm going below decks. I'm not, I'm not fucking around with this. Yeah. Right? And it came up. It came up semi-frequently where she was heavier than everyone else. Uh, well, you guys all got pet wyverns at one point that you were flying across the map. And her wyvern was moving at half speed. Right? <laughs> there are times where we used her as an anchor. Yes. We tied we... ourselves to her and said, all right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Through, like, gusts of wind and shit. So it came up. But it came up for flavor and for specific danger in these scenarios i wasn't worried about encumbrance so much or as i was about you will have to do a specific strength check to be able to lift yourself the dc will be harder you will have disadvantage that kind of shit yeah you can't climb this rope because your little your little dragonborn arms can't carry 500 pounds yeah but that was when the player themselves weighed a lot right yeah. And we get a lot of mileage out of the Loxodon and the Furbolg being heavy as well in our yep. campaign right now. It's true. Um, however, carrying stuff, unless it's specifically super heavy. Oh, I'm going to go pick up the cart. No, you're not. I mean, come on, man. No, you're not. Like, yeah, good luck. Um, I, at this point, I feel like my players are using common sense enough to know that they're not going to just automatically do it. That's um, a skill check that needs to be in this game. Common sense. Common sense. <laughs> Yeah, you make the DM roll that half the fucking time. Too, Give your right? head a shake and roll for common sense. That's yeah. what I'll say. <laughs> uh, common sense roll. Yeah. Uh, Megan, do you think fifth edition is better for having gotten rid of encumbrance as a basic rule? Uh, I think yes and no. Again, I feel like a lot of these things I don't think of until the issue arises. So I I like that there is sometimes a rule for them so that I have something to fall back on. I have to make shit up. So the fact that it's not there as in as inherently as it once was in previous editions does make that problematic when it comes up. But I also enjoy the fact that I don't have to think about it all the time. Mm. Yeah. Terry, what do you think? Yeah, I don't bring encumbrance up too much apart from the gold thing that I just mentioned. Instead, I'll try and uh, lean into other inconveniences. Like if they're carrying so much that now their backpack is so big and they have uh, two great axes and a great sword strapped to their back. I'm like, how are you? tell me how you're fitting through these doors right now. What are you doing with your lance right now as you're doing this? Mm-hmm. And so instead of leaning to the encumbrance rule... It's almost the size of the ship. Uh, yeah, I'll make it an inconvenience kind of challenge they have to work on because they tend to get on board with that more. Yeah. Like how many swords does um, Dave's character have right now? Dave is carrying around like seven great swords and three great axes and and it's all strapped to his back. He's a Leonin and he's a barbarian and he's a big guy with these but like he's not able to walk through a town square without everybody stopping and looking at him right now. Yeah, it looks ridiculous. Oh, I lean into that as well, exactly. How do you look like, what do you look like when you walk into the town? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hated Encumbrance of 3.5. Fucking hated it. Mm -hmm. It made it so that you could not dump strength, which means that barbarians can choose which one they want to dump, no problem problem and they're not getting penalized for it but a wizard now has to be good at three or four skills or ability checks um instead of instead of just the two that the ranger needs or you know the monk needs so it was yeah fuck i hated encumbrance i ran into that a lot i had two characters die because they were too heavy they were they were weighed down by shit and they fell or they sunk into water and could not get free yeah and that was that's it. Like, you're just too heavy for this. Mm-hmm. Um, although it did give us a really cool moment um, in an Eberron campaign 3.5. Uh, Warforged don't have to breathe. Yeah. So Dave was playing a 700-pound Warforged and fell off a ship. And he, and he just shrugged everybody else and said, I'll meet you at the shore. 
and started walking at half speed. Oh, right? right. So yeah. everybody else is getting in rowboats and, and flying, and he's just trudging along. Yeah. He went out for, he used to smoke back then. He went out for a cigarette and came back half an hour later. He's like, all right, uh, am I there yet? Almost. Okay. Yeah. So um, how do you feel about a bag of holding? Um. So when I think about a bag of holding and whether I'm going to give it to my players or not, it's one of those things where I consider what kind of campaign I want to play. Are you playing a survivalist campaign where, you know, tracking what you have and what you don't have is important? Or tracking your rations are important? Or tracking how much you're carrying is important? Yeah. Like, it depends on the game I'm playing. If I'm just playing a fun storyline-based game where I just want to get them from storyline place to storyline place and actually tell, like, a really, like, in-depth role-playing story... Mm-hmm. I'll give them a bag of holding so that we're not focusing too much on materials and we're not spending hours at the table figuring out people's inventories and blah, 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 blah. Sure. But if inventory is something that's specifically supposed to take place specifically for their survival, then I will consider whether or not I'm going to give them a bag of holding or not because it takes away that sense of urgency of being able to carry what you can and not carry, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I think for me, it's um, the juice is not worth the squeeze for me. I think it removes too much of the challenge and often things that players complain about i think is due to tools such as a bag of holding i think it's i don't think it's wrong to have to limit what you can put in your backpack or decide which sword you can no longer carry i think these are all fair challenges um you know i mentioned the gold thing twice already but adam what you do that i like is you have different types of holding items you had like a tube of or like a pouch or like a little pouch pouch, and then there was like a map scroll yeah yeah there's a component pouch of holding there's um pouch there's scrolls. I liked my cage of holding because then you could put creatures into it and pull them out again. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was good. And it was also the uh, the the mouth as well. You know, the yeah. opening into it, so you couldn't just stick you couldn't stick a table and chairs in there. You know, but you could put your spear in there. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I I have a love hate relationship with uh, bags of holding. I tend to only let friendly NPCs carry them until tier three. Yeah. Then the players can have access. At that point, they've all got enough fucking shit they can do anyway. And they have access to spells to give them, you know, Lehman's tiny hut or um, extra dimensional spaces or pocket dimensions. Like, there's shit out there by then that they're going to find a way around it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Why are we burning spell slots on this when fit that is a campaign or is a combat heavy um gaming system let's not waste our shit on that when a bag of holding exists but until then yeah go way down figure it out appreciate the bag of holding when it shows up there's also a heward's handy haversack as well which is essentially a bag of holding backpack yeah um that's overkill from my perspective it's a lot yeah. yeah um but i really do think about the mouth of the bag as well also i am a big fan of the fuck you bags of holding like the bag of devouring or the bag man yeah which is my new favorite thing in the whole world and i'm looking forward to whipping that out on an unsuspecting party at some point mm. um i love that i love that for me yeah be suspicious of bags of holding um yes let me write that down yeah <laughs> um do you know about the bag man Jerry? no it is a creature that lives inside a bag of holding that comes out and steals your shit and then disappears back into it. Oh, well, I that you're a brave DM if you're putting that out on players. We know some players that would not take that very well. Oh, no. Players will will flip out. I also like the idea that they will occasionally kidnap. Did you guys see... What fucking movie was it? Was it Sinister? Where it wasn't The Conjuring. It was the other one with Patrick Wilson in it. Conjuring is one with dreams. Yeah. Insidious is 
Insidious. That's what it Insidious. was. Insidious. Okay. Insidious. Yeah. Where like the son got kidnapped by the demon in the alternate dimension, and he had to go in to rescue the son. Yeah. Mm. That's the. Bag that's man the dreams one. Me. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. 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 That's the that's the bag man for me. Dreams. So mm. I really like that. Where they're gonna steal a bunch of shit, and then they're gonna steal a mount, and then a pet, and then a familiar, and you can't summon the familiar anymore because they're in a pocket dimension, and then the halfling goes missing, and then you gotta go in to, and to then get you them. have to go in to get them. What a fun little little side quest. What a fun little time that would be. They yeah. love that. Yeah, I I, I like that for bags of holding, but again, I'm tier three at that point. Yeah. Now I run the whole environment, and it's going to be full of crazy magic items in there. Like, there's you're essentially the cave of wonders, but it's evil, right? So I love it. Yeah, I um, love it too. I love it. All right, before we wrap this episode up, uh, let's cut to our last ad break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. Okay, so what is everybody's uh, final thoughts then on uh, on what we've discussed today? Uh, let's roll initiative. Sure. Hey, you should die. Aww. Megan, I'm sorry, I got 13. Nine. Oh, you're already higher than mine. No, 13 is higher than 13 nine. is higher than nine. No, the dice is... Bit, sorry, that wasn't... I rolled yours and scored oh, Okay, I just thought that's we were bad at math for a hot minute. Yeah. <laughs> that's not even bad at math, that's just not being able to see. <laughs> I feel like we should call it a sweaty minute from a now A sweaty on. minute? Just yeah. So people stop saying A moist minute. It. Just for a moist minute. <laughs> Just for a sweaty second. I'm going to say moist minute from now on. Anyways, yeah. What are your final thoughts? My final thoughts and inspirations are there's a lot of directions we can go with, with weight and encumbrance and we can argue this to death all day. Ultimately, it's just what is going to be more fun. And this might even not necessarily be what's going to be more fun for the group. But what's going to be more fun for the type of campaign that you're playing? Some types of campaigns, you just don't need to worry about it. But if you're, you know, if you're going to be in water a lot, if you're going to be climbing up things a lot, then weight is going to come into consideration. If it's Thursday at 2 o'clock and it's not raining and you're going across the rolling fields, it's probably not a problem. So I would say just pick your battles with it. Yeah. I would also say, like, it's one of those things where if you're looking at it from the DM's perspective and you're a new DM and you're going into a campaign, one of the biggest daunting things is knowing the rules and feeling like you have to know everything. It is impossible to know everything. I mean, unless you're Dan. But like... No, even that, he gets like half of the shit wrong. Yeah, or just like, it's the fake it till you make it confidence thing too. Like if you're playing with new players, sometimes you can just make up your own variant rule and you just play like that for like your three-shot game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't be shy from playing D&D and being a DM by how many rules there are. Because you will always have to look it up. You will always have to like figure shit out on the fly. You're always going to have to deal with that one player that doesn't know what they're doing. So they're going to do something weird. Like, okay, how do I deal with this? Like, it's always going to happen. Don't let that deter you from wanting to DM. Yeah. Yeah. Look, honestly, I said it a few minutes ago. The 5th edition is a combat heavy system. And Critical Role has made us think that D&D is a role-play heavy system, which means that's what players focus on. Yeah. Our character sheets teach us how to fight shit, and our social media teaches us how to interact with other players and characters and NPCs and that kind of shit. Yeah. Nothing teaches us how to do exploration. And it's the, like, we have an episode called Exploration, the Forgotten Pillar. Because even Meg is like, is this the exploration pillar? That's a pillar? Is that a thing? (laughs) Right? At the beginning of this episode. So, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> just talking and stabbing. Really comes <laughs> back to that, right? Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. Um, so, and I think the problem is that we get this list of skills, and that's it. And the modules say, when this happens, roll this. The DC is this. And we think that's the be-all and end-all, and it clearly fucking is not. Yeah. Right? There are a lot of rules, but they're spread out. They're not all intuitive either. There's some stuff that I really like, like fall damage, and stuff that I hate, like maximum fall damage. Yeah. Uh, I like the avalanche, in theory, until I stop to think about it. I want us to worry about encumbrance and wait, but the swimming rules and the holding your breath shit sucks. Yeah. Right? Jumping is both a skill check and something everyone can just innately do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, it's, it's not necessarily the best laid out pillar, and so DMs, I feel, have got to make up a lot of that shit on the fly, and there are tools out there for you to actually be able to navigate through all of the pillars um, to different degrees. Like, I, I still absolutely hate that grapple and shove are our two combat maneuvers, and they both are the same mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There's so much more shit we should be able to do. We talked about in the Fighters, latest Fighters episode. So, mm-hmm. um, the skills are there to be an inspiration and to be a guideline, not to be a hard and fast rule set. Yeah. Um, and so, I I would like people to start thinking about for even role-playing as well. When we're out in the world, how are we interacting with it? And honestly, I think that looking at other systems teach us how to do that better. In different ways, right. yeah. For example, another skill that I would love to see is um, it's a I think it's a tool proficiency to being able to use land vehicles. Yeah. Whereas in Call of Cthulhu, it's just drive is just a skill. Yeah, I Why? can drive. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people say ride is close enough if yeah. you're if you're driving a cart. And you know what? Fuck. Yeah, it's close enough, but it's ride with a strength check. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Right. So Fair sure. Enough. All right, and with that, that is all for our discussion on the variant rules for skills, falling, encumbrance, and weight. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be returning with a kind of gem dragon that really, really don't want to roleplay. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. Also, for those of you at home that don't realize it, anytime that anyone gets to this part of the episode, the other two bust their fucking bones out. <laughs> and just stop listening until, like, you're done. done. Like, no, I know, you're reading along, but it's so fucking funny. Every time. We switched off. Yeah. <laughs> this episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Adam, I just thought of a name for this episode. Yep. Now that's too late. Yep. Should have been. No, it should have been. It could have been. Okay. Variant rules. Wait, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Doesn't matter. Skilling in the name is pretty damn good. And as I said it out loud, it wasn't that good. Closer. Yeah. Yeah.
I'm just gonna to the mic, or now we can bring the mic closer yeah. to the mic. I'll move, I guess. Mm-hmm. How's that? Does that sound? How's that going? Is that is that better? If I face the microphone this time? Do we need to acknowledge the death of Coolio today? We Did don't. Coolio died. Coolio died. Yeah. Just BBC News just informed me moments before. He, well, I mean, he's gone up to the gangsters' paradise, then. I guess. <laughs> I don't know any of the Coolio songs. So. It's it's that one and uh, one two three four. Okay, uh, those are the only ones that I know off the top. Of my- oh, and I guess the Monstars anthem from Space Jam. Really? Yeah, that would make sure sense. Was on that. Uh, yeah, maybe I wouldn't be able to tell you that for sure though. Pop culture is not my thing. Oh my god, <laughs> you're the worst two people for this. <laughs> anyway, this <whole> podcast. <laughs> Why are you still here? Leave already.